the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. One and two from Jack Flaherty. This to shortstop, and Sosa bobbles it. Mercedes drives it to right. Tommy Edmond dropped the ball. Edmond drops the ball, and the Sox get run number two. And the Sox are using some wonky defense and a lot of contact to take an early lead in game two. Out of the zone, ball four, and the Sox have taken a 4-0 lead on a bases-loaded walk. It was ugly last night. Cardinals lose that one. They have lost seven of their last 10 games last night. It was an eight to three final ugly game all around three errors for the Cardinals three for 15 with runners in scoring position. Jack Flaherty never got on track goes just three and two thirds innings. It was his first truly bad start of the year. Not helped once again by those errors walks two through a wild pitch hit two batters as well. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, that's one of those that I'm just going to kind of throw out because it is one of the worst performances of the year by the Cardinals. And I don't expect us to see a ton more of that moving forward. Yeah, I mean, look, it's rare for the guys that had errors in that game to have errors. You know, the first thing for me with the errors, and I think hopefully we all can agree with this. Can we keep Tommy Edmond at second base and keep him out of the outfield? I don't think you're going to see that. Well, but then then I think there's a problem there because you need to find yourself another outfielder who can fill if these guys can't. But Tommy Edmonds is a second baseman. Tommy Edmonds is a gold glove caliber second baseman. You put him in the outfield, I get it. He's a utility guy. You can use him everywhere. Let's not use him everywhere. Let's keep him at second base. He's so, there today. I was about to say, the lineup is out today for what it's worth, and you do have Tommy Edmonds playing at second. So you're getting your wish today. It's not a wish. It's actually a command. I will be interested oh. to see what it looks like when... Uh, Tyler O'Neill returns. Sounds like he's going to be back over the weekend. So hopefully, For a week. <laughs> Come hopefully on, that's that not keeps fair. Edmund the at left second base. Finger is going to get jammed for the foreseeable future. I don't think that was a situation though where he, because he was in the outfield, misplayed it. I think it was just bad play by him. Well, that and but that's fine. But uh, I mean, he's a better second baseman than an outfielder. And like, I mean, look, you are having a year from hell right now with injuries. I mean, I saw somebody put the list out of the amount of injuries that they've gone through. I feel like I'm the first month of the blue season again, like it's Groundhog's Day all over. But 
you got to have depth in the outfield. And if you don't have it, then stop trying to cram a square peg into a round hole, right? Like this is what you did with Colton Wong. Colton Wong's a second baseman. It's what you tried with Matt Adams. Matt he Adams was really wasn't out. Left. No, he wasn't really good in left. Although he played left field again with the Nationals. So maybe he See? is. Tommy Edmonds a second baseman. But again, that's not the sole reason we're talking about this. The errors, it was a really odd game. And honestly, after that first inning, and I know this would never happen, and I sound like an idiot saying it, but get Jack Flaherty out because the dude was pissed off. And that's what results in three runs given up in the second inning, four runs given up, in, or two runs given up in the fourth. When Jack, We saw it in spring training. When Jack Flaherty gets angry and overexertion and pissed off, He's not himself. And from the moment that first inning happened, you kind of knew where this one was going. Yeah, you needed him to wear it, though. I, I don't oh, think yeah, you could take question. him out. Like, that was one of those situations where if you had starters that had gone deep in the previous games, maybe you do. And you try to keep limit the damage because he's clearly not himself, as you said. Of course. I, I get that, but this was not one of those games. You had to get yeah. as many outs out of Jack Flaherty as you possibly could. Right. And he had to wear that one last night. The problem for me was not so much like any individual thing that happened within that game. It was the fact that it's become a theme for the Cardinals in these last 10 games that bothered me. They're three and seven in this stretch. This started with the series out in San Diego where the Padres were playing with a bunch of backups. It was a potential statement uh, series for the Cardinals and they don't take advantage. So since then, they're three and seven. The bullpen has a 5.9 ERA in this stretch. The Cardinals pitchers in general have walked 52 batters. They have hit 11 guys in this stretch. That is 63 players that have reached base safely by the Cardinals just giving away a base in the last 10 games. Alex, that's six guys getting on base for free per game. That's inexcusable. That's one of the issues that they're having right now. The lineup has gone cold with runners in scoring position. They're batting 191 as a team yeah. with runners in scoring position in this stretch. They have eight errors in their last 10 games, four of them by Nolan Arenado, which has been weird to watch. You had another one last night by him. It's just not good baseball. And so as they get out there again this afternoon, you've got John Gant on the mound. Clean up the walks. Clean up the defense. Start hitting a little better. The situational hitting has to be better. If you can clean up that stuff, the rest will take care of itself. This is not a team, much like the Blues, that is built on a bunch of star, uh, star power. It's built on pitching and defense. Mm -hmm. It's built on run prevention. And if you get back to that, this team's going to be fine. I'm not hitting the panic button by any stretch, but they do need to clean this stuff up. No, and for me, the reason I'm not hitting the panic button is the same reason I wasn't with the Blues, because you're with without so many people. I think, if anything, we've learned that this team needs Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, and Paul DeYoung in the lineup. And I know Edmundo Sosa's been playing well for the Cardinals, but... Paul DeYoung's bat, I think, is important for this team because it gives guys the pre or takes the pressure off of guys where they feel like they don't need to do too much. The same with Tyler O'Neill. The same with Harrison Bader. When you take those guys out at the bottom of the order, I feel like the top half of the order is trying to do too much in the uh, in, with runners in scoring position. Like Nolan Arenado has to be the savior, and that's where you're getting the one for four performance. Tommy Edmond has to be the savior. That's where you're getting the one for five performance. So, if anything, I've learned that this this team needs those guys. So I said I'm not hitting the panic button. Nolan Arenado was asked last night if he is hitting the panic button. Here's what he had to say. There's no need for the panic button, you know, and so I think guys just continue to work, do their routines, but, um, you know, it just feels like 
we just got to play a little bit looser and play the way we know how. You know, um, the last few games we haven't done that. It happens. This is what happens in the 162 game season. You know, you get some games that are a little inconsistent. I feel like this is probably the most inconsistent we've been the whole year, which is pretty good. You know, usually you always have those up ebbs and flows, and right now we're on one of those weird ones. It'll get better. If anybody's saying to not hit the panic button and it's Nolan Arenado, then that's the man you need to listen to. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be fine. I, I'm coming on here today. Ladies, gentlemen, Cardinals are going to be all right. It's going to be okay. Where was that during the blue season? I said at the beginning of the blue season, I was no. the guy that Game was saying, two, oh, you said, oh, yeah, this team's done for. That was me for sure. This team's done for. They can't win. Ferrari, gonna... If Carpenter would have made those comments, would you be? Would you ignore them? Oh, no, I'd be hitting the panic button right now. Okay. Just Good checking. Uh, it's going to be all right. I, I, I'm convinced of that. They're in first place in the NL Central. They have the fourth best record in the National League right now. The three best records are all in the NL West. It's going to be all right. Real quick, though. Just looks ugly right now. I, I will give props to Matt Carpenter. He was one of your best hitters yeah. yesterday. Two for three, and he got on base with a walk. So congrats to you, Matt Carpenter. Since going into this bench role, he's been perfectly fine. I think that's what his role needs to be. Yeah. It's it's the I don't have to be the guy that I was. I can just go out there and be a saver because he knows the bench is so bad that like Matt Carpenter's like, man, I'm the best guy you got right now. This is what it felt like. He's been very good in a pinch hitting role. Yeah. And that's all you need out of him. And if he can continue to do so, you're happy with what he's given you so far this season. Speaking of positives from last night's game. There were there were positives from last night's I game. I got to give Alex Ferrario a little credit this morning. Because I was very mean to you great. yesterday. Tanner, you might, might as well jump on board with this bandwagon, too. I was unnecessarily I was harsh on you. Always. You said Junior Fernandez is a guy that deserves to get a little bit longer of a look for the Cardinals because their bullpen doesn't have a whole lot of answers outside of the big three. But, hey, maybe Junior Fernandez can become something for them. And I said, Alex, that's ridiculous. He has no chance of being anything yeah. for this bullpen. They don't have anybody internally that's going to help them. I think them. you called me an idiot and insulted my family in the process of that. I, I did. don't appreciate I told you that. you were ugly. That did yeah. happen. Yeah, you said you can't dance or sing, which I proved yesterday that I can't. You could lose 10 pounds. I mean, I said yeah. all of it. Oh, okay. It was very mean Whoa. of me to say all No of fat shaming needed right now in the building. <laughs> Junior Fernandez is worthy of giving a look to. Yeah. And last night, his velocity was right up there near 100 miles an hour. He's got three different pitches that he feels comfortable with that he has command of. They were not hitting him hard at all. And that's a great lineup on the other side of things. He saved your bullpen from coming out of that game completely exhausted and being fried going into today's game, which you don't want when John Gann is the guy on the mound. Credit where it's due. You were right on Junior Fernandez. I was very much wrong. Well, going and look, I might be wrong on Junior Fernandez in a couple of days. Who you knows? You're right, though, that he deserves a look. He does. In the so part, put him in the circle. No, no God. God. Oh, why sorry. do you mistreat the circle? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just get a little excited every now and then about the circle. You get way too excited about the circle. I told you how we, you mistreat it. We have a it. cool open for it. Why yeah. not? Well, you just try and throw people into it. Look, the reason I said to give him a shot is because he he's done everything in the minors that he can do. Like, there's nothing else. Like, you put Junior Fernandez back in the minors, what's he going to do for you? Last season, through three teams, he had a 1.52 ERA, and he had 11 saves and 12 opportunities. Like he's he's been the closer, he's been a reliever, he's been a big time situation pitcher. He's done everything. So circle put bound. him in the bullpen. No, not circle bound. Stop it. You've broken too many pitchers that way. Put him in the bullpen. Let him go with it because right now you're not getting that from the other guys. See who he is. Maybe he's just a fifth inning guy, or maybe he's a guy who comes in relief like a game uh, yesterday for Jack Flaherty. That's fine, but you need somebody who can do that, and at least he proved that he can because not a lot of guys can do that. He gave you innings. 
That was the biggest thing. He get, he ended up giving them eight outs in that so game. So does Spider-Man's special weapon. Well, let's not go too crazy. <laughs> Fernandez went Web. two and two-thirds innings. He gave him 41 pitches. He didn't he didn't make it any worse than it was previously. Mm-hmm. That's all you got to ask for from guys like him. So if he can be your fifth best guy coming out of the bullpen, that's perfectly fine. That is somebody that they could absolutely use right now. So credit where it is due. You were right on him. He does deserve another look. And I'm interested to see what he looks like if he's given just a one inning outing. What does he look like at 100% when it's him revving back and going full bore? I'd be curious to see what that looks like. I don't want to see it in like a 2-1 game. No, 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 no. We don't need him to be a high leverage guy. We have those guys. But he he deserves at a very minimum another look from the Cardinals. It's Junior from the third inning if we need you to the sixth inning. There's your spot, buddy. Up or down by four runs. Don't even (laughs) think about seven, eight, or nine. You're not allowed into that room. Prior to the sixth? Yes. Up or down by four runs. You'll get the phone call, buddy. That's your spot. That's it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 11-12. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we will play a game of something or nothing. There was a lot of comments earlier this morning from Craig Berube, from Doug Armstrong. We'll play some of that throughout the day-to-day. Coming up next, though, we got to react to something that I heard yesterday on the Fast Lane. Kevin Weeks made a really interesting comment about the way that the Blues played in the postseason and how... He didn't even recognize this team. We'll let you hear it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You know, I think we have to get back to, like I said, you know, the team identity of being hard to play against, um, you know, hard defensive and ultimately that wins you hockey games and ultimately that brings you success and, and it has in the past and we've got to get back to, uh, you know, as a group, um, you know, as an older guy on the team now, um, you know, we have to make sure we're going to, you know, put full attention to that next year. If you're going to hear a theme for the offseason, Alex, it's going to be what you just heard right there from Braden Shin. The Blues got to get back to their ways. They got to get back to the identity that made them a Stanley Cup champion in 2019. And there were too many times this year where you watched the team on the ice. And if you didn't have the jersey on them, you wouldn't recognize what team they played for. And that's something that Kevin Weeks, an NHL network analyst, uh, former goalie, fantastic analyst. He was on with the fast lane yesterday. I thought he made a great point about watching the Blues in this postseason and comparing it to the team that we saw in 2019. Here's what he had to say yesterday on the fast line. You know, I've been bullish on them and the way they play when they're on their game because they play kind of the way the Kings played when the Kings won their Cups too, kind of similar. And they got away from that as a team. Like, they weren't playing that way consistently. And there were certain guys in the group, like Rhino, the, you know, Rhino Riley, the extra factor. You know what you're getting. There's some other guys that played well. Overall, they didn't, as a team, they didn't commit to playing that hard game as a team. And that's, that's their benefit. When they play the hard game and, and they play well defensively, that's a hard team to match up against. And that was their best chance to make it a series against Colorado, and they didn't play to their identity as far as I'm concerned. Alex, you know me. Uh, you, we've done this show together now for more, more than a calendar year. I, I fall in love with the flashy guys. I, I see Jack Eichel's available. I'm like, oh, go, go get the shiny new toy. Go get that guy. If we're being honest with ourselves for a minute, though, 
if the Blues could accomplish one goal this offseason, it's finding a way to get back to the identity. It's finding another player out there, whether it be via trade, free agency, however you have to acquire him, or just development, whoever. Go get a guy, multiple guys probably, that help you return to the team that you were that was difficult to play against in the 2019 postseason. That's that's really what the goal should be for the Blues this offseason. And, and I don't necessarily know if there's a guy on the free agent market that fixes that. I think that's an internal fix, personally. And we're going to hear from Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube throughout the day today. But, you know, Doug Armstrong talked about it a little bit ago. And, and he said, you know, it's a conversation that, that he needs to have with the leadership group, with the coaching staff, with the front office staff, of finding out if they have the guys that can play that mentality. Craig Berube had a comment and he said they didn't get enough in the area of a forecheck. He said whether it was injury or want, we just didn't have it. It got better, but it wasn't good enough. And the part that I heard and my ears pricked up was it wasn't a want because there were some guys that went out there every night and did it. Like it or not with Shannon Schwartz, they play their asses off every single night. You cannot deny that. The same with O'Reilly and Perron. It's those depth pieces. It's the Sanfords. It's the Blaze. It's the Thomas. It's the Kairos. Those are the guys that you're looking at saying, guys. can they get to this? But it's also, and people are going to shoot me down on this, but the excuse of injury plays into the identity, in my oh, opinion. Oh, absolutely. No yeah. Oscar Sunquist. I mean, Craig Berube called him a role player. He said he's an identity player, and it's a big loss when you lose a player like that. When you lose a guy that brings that fire on the fourth line, third line, wherever he's playing, that makes everyone else go, oh, man, Sonny's playing this way. Boys, let's go out there and get to that. If you don't have guys on the ice that are going to play that way, well, then you can't have success with it. So I truly think if you put Oscar Sundquist back in this lineup, if you put David Perron back into this lineup, if you have a healthy Vladimir Tarasenko in this lineup, a healthy Jaden Schwartz in this lineup, I think you're back to that identity. I just think it finally got to them this season. See, I just I don't know that you can have all of those guys and bring back basically the same group and uh, believe that it's just going to be magically fixed. Like, I, I don't think that there's a magic elixir that's going to take place. I think you do need to have a little bit of a mix-up, uh, a shake-up for the roster. I, there's just a lot of ifs in what you said. And what you, you mentioned, I, I don't want to use this as an excuse. It's not an excuse. It's an explanation. The the injuries, Sonny going down was a massive hit for this team. Perron not being available in the playoffs went from being a uphill climb to an impossibility for the blues to be able to compete with the abs. That being said, you can't just have a couple of guys. You can't have O'Reilly, Shin, Perron, Sonny. You got to continue. Every line needs to have at least one, probably two players that play that style because the blues this year decided, and I think this was a concerted effort by army in the off season. Hey, we need to get a little faster. We need to get some guys that can put the puck in the back of the net. We need to go a little bit more modern with the way that we play. I think they need to get back to where they were previously. I think it is time to decide, okay, what kind of a team are we? And based on their personnel, especially the guys that are signed long-term, Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shin, Colton Pareko, those guys play a specific way. The way that you build around them is by continuing to go with this heavy style. And so build that way. Go all in on that style. And if it means that you get booted in the first round, second round of the playoffs again, so be it. 
But if you're going to go down, I want to go down playing Craig Berube style, Ryan O'Reilly style, Braden Shin style. I would like to see it that way as opposed to kind of being half in, half out with both styles. Well, and it's half in, half out because you only had two lines that were committed to it. You didn't have the full the full four lines. And I think that's where the role player of an Oscar Sundquist comes into play there. That's where David Perron, who's very vocal on the bench, comes into play there. You got to hold guys accountable. We've heard former players talk about that all the time. And if you don't have guys who do that in the game, well, then you might not be performing up to that ability. So, yeah, there might be a a massive shakeup. But the other thing for me, too, with the identity thing this season, and and I know you don't like this, but, you know, Barubi and Armstrong talked a little bit about just this season in a whole and the inability to build that bond with a group of team. Like Doug Armstrong talked about uh, usually what they do every month is they go out and they take the leadership group out to dinner every month. And they go out and they discuss, okay, what's going on? What's this? What's that? They didn't have that ability this season. So Craig Berube, who, yes, he has the ability to talk with his team and whatnot, but it's not the same that it usually is. And then he talked about Mike Hoffman and how he got better this season, but it was a little frustrating. But the bond comes into play there, where it takes normally about a year for you to make a bond with your roster. I mean, remember Ryan O'Reilly and Perron and Maroon and Bozak the year that they came in. So, yeah, but it took like three months. That wasn't a full year. That <laughs> Well, it, it, three months, yes, but three months when you have the ability to go out, but in a situation like this. So, again, it, there's a lot of just – there's a lot of different answers coming in all over the place, and you pick yeah. and choose what you want to hear. But I do think that that had an impact on the team as well, hearing from the coaching staff of what they usually do compared to what this season was. I agree. The, this is where I think there's a little bit of a disconnect. We got, we got a text on this as well. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 573. BK, you don't even think that injuries had an effect on chemistry this year, so don't act like you don't think that that's an excuse. Well, that's not true. So here's the thing. <laughs> I, I do think that the injuries had an effect on chemistry. How could you not? I think that the, the place where I diverge from some of the thought about the Blues this year is I don't think that that was the biggest issue for them. I think the number one problem for the Blues this year was the personnel just wasn't up to snuff the way that it has been in recent years. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. Yeah, like whether it was injury-related, chemistry-related, the guys just not playing to their peak performance for whatever reason, they just didn't play to the same level that they had previously. And they didn't have guys that fit what they wanted to do the same way that they had previously. So I think that was the biggest issue. But once you get beyond that... Yeah, chemistry was a problem. The fact that they had different teams they were going up against, the travel, however you want to put that, that's into a box somewhere else. I think that's much lower down on the list, but it's something. Um, The COVID situation definitely had some effect on it. Not having fans in the stands, all of this stuff played a role. Mm -hmm. But the biggest issue for them and the thing that you can change going into next year, if you're in charge, like Doug Armstrong is, is the personnel. And so that's what I focus on as being, you got to add a little bit to this team. You got to yeah. supplement the team, add in more talent, play to the identity of the roster. And this is where I want to get to something that JR said to us yesterday, Alex. We asked him about the Blues window and how Doug Armstrong, you mentioned this again this morning, Doug Armstrong has said multiple times they're in the middle of a five-year window where they can win Stanley Cups. So what does that mean? What does that mean for this offseason? Here's what JR had to say. They have to win in the next couple of years because in a few years, all those guys that we're talking about, the Fox, the Krugs, the Shens, those guys are going to be 32, 33, 34 years old, still with four and five years left on those deals. So they, they have to be able to win now. So if you're Doug Armstrong and you watch this year, you know, yeah, you can talk about the injuries. You can talk about, you know, the, the challenges with COVID and, and things like that. But 
you also can look at this team and just say it can't compete with the Colorados and the Vegases at, at this point. They need something different. So what does that mean, Alex? Because I, I think JR's right there. You look at some of the contracts that they've given out over the last few years, there could be some lean years coming up three, four years from now. It, it could go, you're gonna you're you're on that roller coaster, right? And we're enjoying the hell out of it right now. That's how championship contenders go. A few years from now, it could get a little little tougher for the blues when they've got some contracts that they might want to get out from underneath. So do you go all in? Like is that is that what I hear there from JR is you go all in on the next couple, two, three years to try to squeeze as much out of this five-year window as you can, or how how does that play into the off-season decisions, I guess is my question for you. It depends you. on what all-in means. Like, if all-in means you go out there and you make massive trades for a big contract like a Jack Eichel or something like that because you feel like the superstar quality is going to help you, then no, I don't think you do that because I don't know if that makes you any better than what you are now. Sure, you get a superior player in Jack Eichel, but what have we just spent time talking about? Chemistry on the ice. If you bring in a new guy, look what's going to happen. So all in, if you find the right hockey trade for a player that matches this mentality, then yeah, I think you do that. All in, if you spend to the salary cap every season, yeah, I think you have to do that. Doug Armstrong talked about how, look, Colorado is going to be on another level next year and for the next five years. Not because, well, because they are better, but they were better because they sucked for so many years. Like They basically tanked. They drafted Nathan McKinnon first overall. Gabriel Landeskog, I believe, was either first or second overall. You get Miko Ranton in top 10. Kale McCarr, top 10. Like, you suck that long, you're going to get good players. The Blues, the Blues haven't drafted in the top 10, I think, since what? Eric Johnson, Alex Petrangelo? So they don't they don't do it, but you do win the same way you won back in eighteen nineteen. And I get it. Oh, they had better players. They had superstar Alex Petrangelo. Yeah, they did. But you won that season as a team. You won as a group effort on the ice. And I think that's what Doug Armstrong was alluding to today in his media availability. If you're gonna go all in like JR's talking about, you find players that buy into the system that you have in place. Then you spend to the salary cap. But you got to get the buy-in from everybody. You can beat Colorado in a seven-game series. This season, you couldn't because of everything that took place. But I truly believe to what Kevin Weeks was talking about, that if you get back to the identity and you spend the salary cap with players that you feel can be impactful, they can compete with those teams. And you can do it without having to draft first and second overall. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, the scary part to me about being all-in is it probably means a total teardown in two or three years. It might it might. And I don't know. I don't know what's at the end of this tunnel. But the reason why I think I would be in favor of going that way is because when you look back, like they might have to go that direction no matter what, based on some of the contracts that they've given out. And I don't know that to be true for sure. It's possible these guys end up being great into their late 30s. But you're just you're playing against the odds there a little bit. It's possible they're going to have to go that direction no matter what. So if that is in play. I might as well get as much as I can while I'm in this yep. window, you know? And so if that means going out there and giving out a contract four years from now, there's going to be like a two-year stretch where, man, I wish I didn't give that out. But it results in me opening up the window a little wider for these next couple of seasons. I'm making that deal. Well, you just did it with Alexander Steen. Like, how many how many sure. people sat there and talked about that? that was a dumb contract he gave to Steen? Jay Bowmeister was the other one. This is a dumb contract he gave to him, and look what happened. It doesn't necessarily mean, though, you're going to have to tear it all down, and you're going to be— might not. Because, look, the, it, that comes down to bad contracts you give out. Like, the Kings were in that situation because they handed out seven-year extensions to 
um, to Jeff Carter and Dustin Brown and these guys that Jonathan Quick right now who's training in the wrong direction. The Chicago Blackhawks. You take everything that the Chicago Blackhawks have because of their downturn, but look at the Boston Bruins. I think the Boston Bruins are a perfect image of what the Blues are trying to be. They're always in the Stanley Cup final. They have contracts given out to some pretty impactful players, but it comes down to drafting. They're not drafting in the top 10. They're drafting in the bottom 15 where the Blues usually draft. It comes down to finding the right players and developing those right players to avoid that teardown. Right now, the Blues may have that, may not have that. I mean, you have some young players in Thomas and Cairo and Koston, who Doug Armstrong's still high on. Scott Perunovich on the defensive side. Now we've seen Jake Wallman and Nico Mikola, Colton Pareko, Tori Kruger still fairly young. You got to find the pieces that are in between by not giving out bad contracts. So if that's what it means by going all in, no, I wouldn't do that because it's a crapshoot to try and win a Stanley Cup. What I mean by the back end of these hurting potentially is like, I, you know, Braden Shin's my favorite player. I, I love Braden Shin. I think he's a fantastic player. I think he's going to age well. It's going to hurt. At the end of this deal, he's going to be 36 years old. And in that same season that he's making, whatever, $7 million, you're also going to have Justin Falk making $6.5 million, Tory Krug making $6.5 million, both of whom will be 36 at that point as well. Yeah. So you're going to have... $20 million of your salary cap going to three players over the age of 35. That's in 2026. So that's a long way from now. It's five years from now. You've got plenty of time between now and then, but that's why you got to make this time work. Yeah. That's why you've got to make this worth it. So that way at the back end of those deals, when it is going to hurt, it will, it was all worth it because you know what? That banner that you see out there yeah. at enterprise center, that's why we're playing the yeah. game. You know, and so that's that's why. Oh, do you go all in in the next couple of off seasons? My answer to that question is yes, because you, you want to get what you can out yeah. of this window. Yeah, you got to keep yourself above water in the central. Colorado's going to be great next year. Uh, Minnesota and Nashville are going to be competitive, and then you got yourself with the Winnipeg Jets. So it's four teams competing for playoff spots. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. All right, Tanner has put together a few different stats that have taken place for the Cardinals this year, and especially Apparently. in this recent stretch. Is this another circle of trust thing? Is it something yeah. or is it nothing? We'll dive into a few of those coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a game of something or nothing. This is very simple. Tanner has come up with a few different categories, a few different statistics that he's come across. And Nail we it. will tell Tanner if it's something or if it's nothing. Tanner, what you got, man? All right, guys, I'm just going to say two off the bat here. Some of these were hard to find. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> okay. I, it took me a while to find some of these, so I really geeked out last night. Something or nothing, Andrew Kisner's catcher ERA, which is about 2.5, is almost half of Yachty's this season at 4.5. Alex, it is something. I don't know how much of something it is. Breaking news, BK just benched Yachty. So you're saying Yachty sucks? No, but I I am saying the one thing we noticed when Kisner was out there was that the pitchers seemed to have a little bit more say in what the game calling was. I don't know if this is a direct correlation, but the pitching when Kisner was out there was amazing. The pitching since Yachty has come back has been less amazing. And before Kisner was out there, there were some issues. I think the bigger issue is the guys just can't throw strikes. 
But I think there's a little something to this. Might not be a huge thing, but I'm going to be watching today. You got Andrew Kisner behind the plate. What does that look like with John Gann on the mound? Well, it's looked great so far, hasn't it? With Gant, or am I thinking of Kisner with Martinez? Martinez was much better. I thought with he Kisner. was in with Gant too, but maybe not. Probably got distracted with all his walks. I mean, it doesn't matter who could catch. I mean, Edmundo Sosa could catch Gant right now, and the guy's just filthy out there. And um, walking people. Uh, hey, you his, always forget that part. What's his ERA? What's his walks per I nine? I don't inning? care. He's I your care. best pitcher in ERA. It's nothing. I actually think that's true now after Jack's it is. It rough is night last It is true. It's kind it, of lucky. This is nothing for me. I mean, we all know how good Yachty is and how he dictates the strike zone and his ability to kind of manage the pitching staff. 618 says BK hates Yachty confirmed. Come on. Here confirmed we go. Confirmed 618. I mean, the text line did confirm it, and we know that is the most reliable source that's out there right now. Thank you, text line. Um, the problem right now is your pitchers. I mean, Good old Coop yesterday who came on with us, Don Cooper. He said it. You got a fantastic pitching coach. You got a Hall of Fame catcher. Might just be your pitchers right now. So I'm saying nothing on this. All right, guys. Something or nothing. Nolan Arnato has the second most errors among third basemen and is tied for seventh in the league. Let me start with this one, BK. This is absolutely, positively, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious nothing. Seven errors. Not great, but look at the look at the plays he has made this season. I think this is more along the lines of what Mike Claiborne had told us before the season started when they acquired Arenado of coming into a new place. Now, he outperformed the offensive side of this, where we thought maybe he's going to struggle offensively trying to do too much. I think it's the flip side of that defensively. I think it's trying to do too much out there, trying to be the savior on the new team that you that you love. Whereas in Colorado, like he was so comfortable, it's like it was night and day for him. So I'd say this is nothing also. It's something. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not freaking out about this. I want to say that on the front end. I'm not saying that Nolan Arenado is a bad defensive third baseman. He is absolutely not. He's tremendous. One of the best in the game, if not the best in the game. I think why I believe that it is something is I'm agreeing with Alex. I think there's something to the fact that He's in a new situation with new defensive positioning. If you look into some of the more nerdy advanced numbers, the way that he's positioned specifically against left-handed hitters, that's been the issue for him this year. That's where all of the defensive misplays are coming from. I don't know if that is a difference in the way that the Cardinals are shifting with Nolan Arenado and he's uncomfortable with it. I think it's going to get better. I truly believe that, but Every defensive number that you look at for Nolan Arnato is worse this year for him in a Cardinals uniform than it has been at any point for him in a Rockies uniform. I think that'll get fixed, but so far this year, yeah, it's it's absolutely something, and I do think it has a little something to do with the way that they're playing left-handed hitters. Can we all agree that people need to stop trying to shift Nolan Arenado in games and let Nolan Arenado decide what the shifts look like on the field? I mean, they're doing it for a reason. Well, it's There's got to be something behind it, but you're right. It's not I mean, working. I'd so. be, if I'm Mike Schilt, I'm sitting there, hey, Nolan, you decide what the shifts look like because Ex- you can cover more ground. So defensive run saved is not a very good stat, and especially in such a short sample size, it's a terrible stat in my opinion that's my favorite it ain't great but against left-handed batters i do think it tells the story because left-handed hitters this year nolan arenado is minus six negative six in defensive run save so he's been a bad defender according to that number against right-handed hitters he's a plus four he's saved four runs for the cardinals against right-handed hitting this year so that tells you the story there's one thing that's gone wrong for him in a cardinals uniform and it's when lefty lefties are up to bat 
So Mike Schill told the media yesterday before the game that the Cardinals are expecting Tyler O'Neill to return here short, soon, possibly even for the Arizona series, which starts tomorrow. Something or nothing. The Cardinals are 18 and nine in games that Tyler O'Neill starts in. They're eight and 13 games in which he doesn't start or he's been on the IL. I feel like this is nothing too, because you can go through individual players and you can look at a winning record when Tommy Edmond gets a hit, a winning record when Nolan Arenado hits a home run, a winning record when Dylan Carlson's not out of the lineup. I think it's impactful when they don't have Tyler O'Neill. So yeah, I guess I will say something because I do think you're missing an, an element in the middle of that batting order uh, right behind Nolan Arenado. I think it takes pressure off guys behind him and guys in front of him. So yeah, I'll, I'll say this is something. It's definitely something. The Cardinals are good when they hit homers. They're not so good when they don't. And Tyler O'Neill this year has eight home runs on the season. That's second on the team. So why, why does he help when he's out there? Because he's hitting the long ball and that's the way this team scores. So it's definitely something. He's a really important player for the Cardinals. They need a guy with his kind of power on the bottom half of the order. And the Canadian Hulkster just scares everybody. So wow. Also those, a great those, point. Those biceps will take anybody deep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a transition for that one. Uh, something or nothing, Cardinals who lost again last night are 6-12 and 12 against teams above 500. Say that again? The Cardinals, something or nothing, are 6-12 and 12 against teams that are above 500 this season. And if I'm not mistaken, that is... It's one of the worst in the league. I think it's fifth worst in Major League Baseball. Against teams that are above 500. So against good teams, they've been bad. Fifth worst in baseball, yeah. I'm going to go nothing. Um, I A lot of that came against the Padres, and that series was just weird. Like, I, I can't make sense of what took place for the Cardinals in that series, and a lot of it is also what has taken place while the Cardinals have been hurt the last few weeks so i'm gonna say it's nothing i'm not worried about their performance against quality opponents i think it's gonna revert back to the mean a little bit and as you get especially into the second half of the season i think they're gonna be fine in that regard if you would have asked me before that series against the padres i would have said nothing i think it's something now because i think this is the same thing that we've talked about with the blues right like you can beat the san jose sharks and the anaheim ducks occasionally the Arizona Coyotes, but you can't beat the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. We've seen them struggle against the Nationals at times this season, which now those aren't a 500 team, but they still struggled against them. Um, The Padres, when you were, yes, depleted offensively, but you still struggled against a team that was as well, and you struggled against the White Sox. So I think I'm going to say this is something because apparently right now they're struggling against teams that are really good. This was probably the most interesting one that I found last night. Something or nothing the Cardinals from the seventh inning and on are 24th in average and 25th in OPS. So against relievers, basically, <laughs> they've been struggling. So you struggle well, against awesome starters and you're awesome against the bullpen. I think there's a little something to this. My guess is some of that is because they don't have a great bench. And so pinch hitting wise, they're not getting a lot from that. And I think a lot of this is also the story of... They've gone up against some teams with really good relievers this year. You know, they've played Milwaukee quite a bit. Uh, you look back to the series against, I mean, right now with uh, the White Sox, they've had some good relievers coming out. So I'm going to go ahead and say it's a little something, but uh, not a lot. Now, what the hell happened against the Cubs? Their bullpen's been better than expected. No, it's not. They're terrible. I'll say this is something, too. I, I 
that's not a good thing if you can str- if you struggle at that point of the game. Like that's where that's where it's on the line. And right now they haven't been able to follow through with it. So yeah, I'll say this is something. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Thanks for those Tanner questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. I like this one from the six one eight. Hey guys, so uh, Arenado's defense. What the hell? <laughs> Bingo. Was that Arenado texting in? I don't know. It's but like, what I, the hell with my defense, guys? I like the way that they phrased that. I, I think Arenado's going to be fine. I mean, going to say, is that a question or? I I think it's one of those where it's like, what's going on? How of all things is Arenado's defense the thing that is frustrating? He has been the least of the concerns right now for this team, regardless if his defense is not what it used to be. I probably, I would still bet that he wins a gold glove this year. He's going to. It'll be based on reputation. That's fine. That's still a gold glove. I'm going to say he does win a gold glove. I don't think he will. What's the other third baseman? That's the problem. Give me time. I don't know exactly who's gonna. Maybe Chris Bryant. No way. He's no, a he's right a left. Fielder. He's a right fielder now. Actually, he plays everywhere. Yeah, that's true. Just like I Tommy Edmond does. That's the thing. Is he? I don't think Come he'll on. qualify as a third baseman. That's that's the issue for him. But yeah, you gotta I, have a certain amount of Justin Turner. Boom. Justin Turner ain't winning a Gold Glove. Maybe Manny. Manny Machado. Manny Ramirez is retired. BK. A little different. Manny Machado could be the guy that gets it. No, I um, still say Ar- I would put money down that Arenado wins it. Machado's got a lot of errors too, if I'm not mistaken. Probably doesn't run out the ball, the ground ball to third base either. It doesn't matter for a glove. Well, if you got to run to it, just slowly jog to it. The guy's going to beat you at first. Um, I, I think he's going to get it. I agree with you, Tanner. But it'll be based on reputation, not no, at Tanner least said so he's far. not going to get it. No, he's, you said you do think he gets it, No, right? I don't think he does. Oh, well, Alex, well, I agree for with list, you. Thanks for listening to the show, BK. Thanks, guys. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line for questions and answers. Uh, guys, did you see the story yesterday about Nuggets Center, excuse me, not Nuggets Center, uh, Maverick Center, Kristaps Porzingis, getting fined $50,000 for violating the league's COVID protocols? I did, did you not. see this? No, I did not. So, what did Luca do to him? Did Luca send him out somewhere to get wings? Those so, J Wills are Lou Will's spicy lemon pepper wings. I got wings. Funny you mentioned that. So Porzingis one. reportedly violated the league's rules against going to bars, clubs, lounges, etc. Oh, get it, Kristaps? He quote briefly visited an LA strip club on Sunday. Yep. Lou Will called him up and said, "Hey, Kristaps." Aren't they playing? Aren't the Clippers playing the Mavericks? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's what it is. Lou Will's trying to get this guy out of the series. Well, Lou Will's down in Atlanta now. He's oh, I thought he was with the Clippers still. He was previously. Now he's with the Hawks, oh. and he can just go to Magic City whenever he'd like to. Oh, so Lou Will's probably got that good relationship still with Kawhi, and he said, hey, I'm going to get Kristaps out of this series for you, boys. Hey, uh, Porzingis, got some Lou Will lemon pepper wings waiting for you in the strip club. Boom. It's amazing. I... Uh, That's nothing to him though, is it? No, but not only did he blow whatever money it was when he was at the strip club, now you got 50 grand that you're out by just going to the strip club in terms of a fine. I thought you were going somewhere else. Not only are you blowing your money on the strip club, I'm glad you didn't. Yeah, no, no, no. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. So Alex, are you a Guy Fieri fan? Say that again? Are you a fan of Guy Fieri? I love how you say that. Uh... Yeah, I, I. Wait, did he say it wrong? No, it's just that uh, we like rolls that R. I can't roll the R. Fieri? Fieri. That's his name. Fieri. 
Just make it a D. Normal yeah, person would say Guy Fieri, but that's fine. Whatever. Guy Ferrari? I, I, nope. Stay away from my last name. I like the show, but I like the man more, if that makes sense, because I've heard that he is an awesome dude and like he contributes to a lot of charities during the pandemic. He helped a lot of restaurants. The show's okay for me. I'm a huge Guy Fieri fan. He's one of my favorites. I love the Food Network in general. I could watch oh, it all I day long. Too. You know, I, I love food, Alex. Um, Guy Fieri yesterday signed a three-year $80 million contract extension with the Food Network. Just because you have crazy hair. $80 million. Is he a cook? So he won. He's, the he's, way that he became famous Because he's famous for his shows, right? So he was on the, the next Food Network star. That's where he got his start with Food Network. And to win that show, you have to be really great as a chef, but you also have to be awesome on air, right? Mm-hmm. You have to have a personality, all these different things. And so that's that's the way he got his start. And he ended up doing like a cooking show and he's obviously got this huge personality and diners, drive-ins and dives was created. And now he's the face of food network. Basically. I'll tell you the food show that I love watching is uh man versus food. It's not on anymore, but that was like my favorite show to watch. That was tremendous. Watching those guys just pig out and, Oh, yeah, it was incredible. I think the guy ended up having some health issues. Yeah, I think he got, like, (laughs) diabetes from it or something, and he had to stop, which was, like, ridiculous. But then they had a new guy take over, and it's like, oh, I'll do it now. So 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, John Taffer is greater than Guy Fieri. I'm a bigger fan of John Taffer. So I don't know who John Taffer is either. Bar Rescue? Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah, it doesn't help. So Taffer's show is good, but they just have very different roles. Fieri goes in and, like, loves these restaurants that he goes to and tries to bring light to some of the um, less renowned restaurants in a city, right? So he gives them national prominence. Mm-hmm. John Taffer goes in and like breaks down to build back up a bar. Just very, very different roles. Apparently they're saying this guy Fieri, uh, he's, uh, he gets paid by the Carnival Cruise Lines as well. I mean, he, he has he's a got, million I know he's got a restaurant in to, Vegas too. Yeah, he's I've got been a to the restaurant, restaurant in Vegas. He's got one in KC as well that just went in. Apparently, it's not great, but um, yeah, he's he's Ima- making money in every. Imagine that way. life where literally you have to do nothing and you still get paid money. It ain't bad. Sounds nice. It ain't bad. Just put your name on something. Just put your name on it, and you're like, yeah, this is good. The BK and Ferrario Lounge. Where the hell are we putting that? That's, at? That sounds like like a. That sounds like a kids' room in a movie okay. theater or something. Whoa. The, the BK and Company Bar. Ah, uh, no, man. It's got a good ring to it. It's just yeah. T-Bones. It'll go oh, with the rebrand good. of the show. T-Bones. And they only sell chicken nuggets there. Uh-huh. Dino. Dino chicken nuggets. That, okay. Well, now now we're back to the kids the thing again, Tanner. All the sins in the world. Uh, with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon. Coming up next, I'm willing to listen to the injury excuse for one portion of the Cardinals' oh, recent play. I'm not willing to talk about it with the other side of things. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. There's no need for the panic button, you know, and so I think guys just continue to work, do the routines, but, um, you know, it just feels like, we just got to play a little bit looser and play the way we know how, you know. Um, the last few games, we haven't done that. It happens. This is what happens in the 162-game season. You know, you get some games that are a little inconsistent. I feel like this is probably the most inconsistent we've been the whole year, which is pretty good. You know, usually you always have those up ebbs and flows, and right now we're on 
one of those weird ones. Nolan Arenado is not hitting the panic button, and neither am I, Alex. I'm not hitting the panic button on the Cardinals despite the 3-7 and seven record in their last 10 games. because you smacked it so many times for the Blues, it's broken. <laughs> yeah, my, mine is no longer functioning. It's like the dump button in here. It's got to reset after a while. Especially after Jamie Rivers is done That's on the fast very lane. very true. You can hear the fast lane weekdays from 2 to 6. Bam, bam, bam. Right here on 101 ESPN. All right. The dump button doesn't even work anymore. We talked a lot about the excuses versus explanations with the injuries on the blue season. I also think there's some some of that for the Cardinals as well. Let's approach this from two different perspectives, all right? Let's start out with the lineup. I think you can have every explanation as to why the Cardinals lineup is not performing up to par based on what their injuries have been this year. Tanner and I looked this up last night. The Cardinals have had their ideal lineup, which is their like starting eight outside of their starting pitcher, four times this season. It was May 8th through the 12th when they had everybody that they expected to be in their opening day lineup available to what them. What was the record? Well, they ended up going three and one in those four games. One Gosh, of the games, really good when we're healthy. Tyler O'Neill had the day off, so you can count that if you want to. You don't have to. Man, so, if you, if you have the rest, like if you are healthy all season, you're going to go 161 and one. I mean, basically, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's incredible. So the Cardinals wow. have had three games this year where they've actually played with the expected lineup from opening day. <laughs> so when I'm looking at the lineup, yeah, I'm going to use that as an explanation as to why they haven't lived up to quite the peak performance that we were expecting. Is that fair in your opinion, Alex? I I think so. I I mean, I don't really judge the offense right now because they've just been obliterated by injuries this season. And I know people can say it's O'Neal and Bader and DeYoung that doesn't matter, but it does because the top of your order can hit. And Yachty was out for a while. Yachty was out for a while. The top of your order we know can hit. It's the bottom of the order. When they're not doing anything, then the top has to try and do more, and then look what happens. So, no, I'm not concerned about this at all. And with the injuries, it looks like the lineup that we've seen in recent years. Yeah, so there's a legitimate excuse for the offense right now. The pitching side of things is where I'm not willing to use that as an explanation. Explain yourself. The pitching side of things is why I'm going to say that's an excuse, not an explanation. So here's why. The Cardinals pitchers that are on the IL right now, Jordan Hicks, Dakota Hudson, Miles Michaelis, Andrew Miller. Those are the four. Jordan Hicks came into the season with questions as to whether or not he was going to be healthy. Dakota Hudson's, we knew, going to miss the entire season since last year. Miles Michaelis is coming back from a forearm issue that kept him out of all of last season, and we knew going into spring training this may be a problem for him the remainder of the year. Andrew Miller never totally got back on track. It was the toe blister. And he had an issue coming into spring training where he was already behind everybody else. The four guys that are on IL should have been expected to have injury issues throughout the season based on the way that they had previously had issues for the Cardinals. So... The Cardinals told us all offseason, we'll be fine, though, because we've got depth. They they believed in their pitching depth, and they made a bet on that. And the bet has not paid off for them. And so if you want to use the excuse, explanation, whatever you want to call it with the lineup, I'm here for it. I'll listen to those. If you want to use that on the pitching side of things, though, I would listen to it if it was Jack Flaherty or KK or Wayno that was going down, John Gant going down. Those guys have been reliable, and you wouldn't have expected that. With the players that have gone down, though, you should have been expecting that they would go on the IL at certain points in the season, and they have. See, I kind of use it as an explanation, though, because I think Jordan Hicks, when he was in that bullpen for you and healthy, it took the it took the the 
spotlight off of Ryan Helsley and Tyler Webb and these guys that had to be perfect for them because all of the walks that these guys are going to provide, they're younger pitchers. They're going to come in and they're going to hit struggles. But because you were so good from six, seven, eight, and nine, you really weren't too concerned about it because you knew you could bring Jordan Hicks in and get out of a jam. The same with Gallegos. Now you can't because you use one of those guys, they're going two innings for you. And for the rotation, yeah, I mean, it seems like an excuse because I know Dakota Hudson was out this season, but I really believe if Dakota Hudson was in this season, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But they knew all offseason he, he wasn't going to be. But that took a massive blow to their team, and there were no guys on the free agent market for you to sign and be like, oh, this guy will make me better. I Tywin mean, Walker. No, we, get out of here. He, he would have been. been. He would have helped them. Jake Odorizzi, um, too. Potentially moving forward. Right now, they just have no internal options to fill in with, with their rotation. And that's why, like, I, you're right, Alex. They absolutely miss Dakota Hudson right now. But they knew all offseason that they were going to miss Dakota Hudson, so they built the team accordingly. And right now, your rotation is kind of missing that oomph as your number two, number three starter, whatever you want to look at it as. And so I, I have a hard time just being like, yeah, because Dakota Hudson is out, they're not quite the same team. Yeah, they knew that. They knew that when they built this roster. And so I, I, I'm not giving them a pass on that. Yeah, and just about everybody in that rotation had a really big question mark. I mean, the Michaelis, was he going to be healthy? That was his big question mark. Carlos, what he'd been so erotic in the last three years. I mean, there was a huge question mark with Kim. To me, in my opinion, I think they probably would have thought the same way too, was it's just only his second year in the big leagues. There's more film on him. What can we get from him? Will he be the same guy? He hasn't been, whether that's fair or unfair. The numbers do look pretty good, but he hasn't gone deep into games. And then with your other option, Adam Wainwright, would age catch up to him? That one is debatable. On the road, he looks terrible. At home, he looks really good. I don't know if that's, that's an what age thing. But yeah, that's, that's what, what he's been. been the last couple of years. So I, I think the front office saw this, and I think they were just a little too overconfident in what they had and thought that some of those issues weren't going to pop up. And I actually have a bigger issue with the bullpen side of things than the um, the rotation side. I think my frustration is I was told all offseason, and I bought into it. I bought into it hook, line, and sinker. Hey, this team has as much pitching depth as any team in all of baseball, right? And we would look at some of the projections, and we're like, wait, what? Why are these projections so low on the Cardinals bullpen? Why why do these projections not see this the same way that we do? And it looks right now like the projections might have been right, especially about the depth or the lack thereof that the Cardinals have in the bullpen. And what could the Cardinals have done to fix this? Maybe not much. Honestly. I super swiped on Trevor Rosen. Oh, wait, he's hurt. Yeah, that didn't work out Damn. either. Honestly, probably not much. But the reason why I wanted to bring this up today is just because what you can't do moving forward is just keep doing the same thing there is going to have to be some additions to this team at the deadline if they want to be seen as a legitimate contender it would take them going out there and making trade deadline acquisitions you got to go out there and get a number two starter you probably need to add a piece to your bullpen and then it would help them honestly to add a piece to the bench as well so that's why i wanted to bring this up today is because some of the explanations similar to the blue season where it's like okay when they get healthy things are going to be better I don't know if Jordan Hicks is going to be healthy at any point this year. Same thing for Miles Michaelis. Same thing for Andrew Miller. So instead of betting on that the way they did at the beginning of the season, once you get closer to that July 30th deadline, you're probably going to have to go make a move to improve this team. That's a lot to ask in the trade deadline, too. Well, that, uh, I mean, like you can't go into the trade deadline saying, OK, well, we need a number two starter. We need a bench bat and we need a bullpen pitcher. Like, look, that's a lot to go out there for. What if I told you for the trade deadline? Is this to start for the 30-30? This could be. But what if I told you for the trade deadline, go get two good bullpen arms and get a bat for the bench and ignore the starter? 
And the reason I say that is because I think you can get Flaherty's going to line up well with anybody in a playoff matchup, whether it's home or away. If you can schedule Wayno to get a start at home, I feel pretty confident in that right now. And then when it comes down to Kim, Seamart, or who am I forgetting? Michaelis. Or Gant. If Michaelis, if he's healthy too. If you can get one of those two to have a decent start, maybe they go two times through the order, maybe not even that. If I have five bullpen arms that I can trust, that's where I go and get two that I believe in, and then you add in Hennessy Cabrera, uh, you got Gallegos and Reyes. And Reyes. I only need those guys to give me about four innings, and then I can lock the door down from there. See, I would go the other way. I would rather have a starter than those two bullpen arms that you're talking about because when I add that starter, it pushes one of my other starters into the bullpen, and I trust that guy. I want somebody to go along with Jack Flaherty that I think can match up against the other strong number twos in the National League. I want a guy who can go seven innings in a playoff game. Like, give me a guy who competes with Jack Flaherty. Give me another Jack Flaherty. That's why Max Scherzer is so appealing. Sure. Because... That happens, and you got a one-two punch right now in a best-of-five or best-of-seven series, and you usually use three or four guys anyway. For me, the first guy into the bullpen is going to be John Gant, and that's a scary decision to have in there because you got three innings from John Gant that you, if you need, he can give you. I really like the way that the bullpen would set up if you add a, t- add a starter. Yeah, And so you don't that, know who's playing well down the stretch in the minors, too. Like Somebody might emerge into a bullpen arm for you in, uh, into August or September. The, pro- the problem for me with that, though, is the fact that I, in the ideal scenario, yeah, Flaherty and let's say Scherzer in this example, you acquire him, are going six, seven innings, and then you can go down to your guys if need be. If they don't, if they run into some trouble, and then I have to go to the bullpen, I have to go Reyes two innings, Gallegos two innings, Cabrera two innings, and I'm going to wear them down. Well, how many innings are we playing here? <laughs> you just well, covered I, well, six I innings with those guys. Well, I'm going with that start from Flaherty last night. Flaherty in the playoffs is pulled after two, if not after one. And then sure. I got to rely on if, a weak bullpen. But I don't think that Flaherty's coming in the playoffs, though. Th- there's a quote from the former Colts offensive coordinator. Somebody went to practice, and they asked. I think it was Tom Moore. Wait, was we're the, playing football now. And he said playoffs. Hold on, uh, well, we can win a game. Th- they asked his offensive coordinator, "Hey, you know, uh, Peyton Manning's taking 100 percent of the reps right now. What if what if Peyton Manning goes down? Don't you want your backup to be able to get some reps? I think it was Jim Sorgi was their backup at the time. And Tom Moore's response was, "Well." Let me tell you something. If Peyton Manning goes down, we're bleeped. Oh, yeah. And we don't practice bleeped. Yeah. If Jack Flaherty goes one inning in the playoffs, the Cardinals are bleeped. Okay, the one <laughs> so inning thing was probably a bad example. To be bleeped it's in the, the best, postseason. It's the back of goaltender okay, thing, too. Don't innings. you need a better guy for Bennington if he goes down? No, if Bennington goes down, we're bleeped, guys. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the one inning was a bad example. Uh, five would have been more of a better. If you get to five, one. you've got the three guys that you already trust, and then you've got John Gant that you're adding to that mix, and maybe there's one other player between now and the postseason that emerges. And even if not, that's already four innings that I feel pretty confident so, in. So, and in the playoffs, you have off days, so you can continue going. You've back heard to those this guys. from me. I don't trust John Gant. <laughs> In a one-inning situation, nah, I would be fine with it. No, I don't know. Mm. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Why Coming do you up hate a, John Gant? In about 15 minutes, we always talk about that net front presence. Is that the number one need for the Blues this offseason? We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes. We're going around the NFL, though, next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Bien. Let's go around the NFL with Alex Rario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's start with the story of the day. Of course, still Aaron Rodgers. Let's be honest still here. Still the story of the day. Oh, it is indeed. Gosh. So Aaron Rodgers uh, right now is down in Hawaii. Hawaii. As, as the uh, the Packers 
start gearing things up for the 2021 oh, NFL season. Is that where their OTAs season. are now? Nope, nope. OTAs are taking place in Green Bay. Meanwhile, oh, Aaron Rodgers is in Hawaii with his fiance in Miles Teller. Because, of course, his where fiance else would is be? Miles Teller? Nope, nope. They're his all fiance just down there together. And Miles Teller. Gotcha. Okay. Punctuation is important. <laughs> Punctuation is important. Alex. Are we going to get to the end of the road with the story at some point? Is, is he going to play for the Packers this year? What is what is going on? You need me to get the boys to men song ready. We come to the end. Okay. Anyway, um, I think this is going to come to an end, boys. And you want to know why? Because Tinfoil Ferrari has got a theory. Oh, baby. The new world order. 5G cell phone towers taking over the world. Microchips in your bloodstream. And Earth is actually flat. Ferrario, don't forget the tinfoil hat. So you just mentioned it. His girlfriend, Shailene, or fiance, Shailene Woodley, who is a Hollywood actress, television movie star. Miles Teller, a movie star in Hollywood. Guys, what if Aaron Rodgers is done with the NFL? What if Aaron Rodgers says, you know what? can go play baseball. I've made my money. No, not Tim Tebow style. I've made my money. I've hit MVPs. I've won a Super Bowl. There's not much else for me to do. I'm done with this team. They're not going to trade me away. I've been on Jeopardy. <laughs> Heck, I was probably the best celebrity guest on Jeopardy. What if Shailene's going to try and get A-Rodge into a uh, little Hollywood acting? What if Aaron Rodgers just said, boys, I'm done with football. Green Bay, you can figure out whatever the hell you want to do, but I'm in the movies now. I'm going big time. It'd be a hell of a transition for him. Like just the next, I, I don't know. The he's next, got the look for it right now. For the, anybody that hasn't seen these pictures, he's going full man oh yeah. bun at this he, point. He's got Brad Pitt style, like long hairdo. He's got this weird beard coming in. Shailene's trying to change him into a movie star. What if like Avengers 4... He's starring Thor. Aaron Rodgers. Avengers? Avengers of all 4. movies to go with. Yeah. I don't... So, Aaron Rodgers, great football player, and I'm certainly not a guy to, like, knock a guy on his body. Looks a little dad body right now. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Avengers <laughs> is in his immediate future. Well, regardless, whatever movie it is, Aaron Rodgers into the Hollywood theater, boys. He's done with it. it. Hey, I'll listen to any any theory that anybody has on Aaron Rodgers at this point. The next James Bond. The next Bruce. Oh, my gosh. If he's the next James Bond, can you imagine? That makes more sense than uh, Avengers. Than no, a Marvel the problem movie. is, though, is no, he's doesn't. not British. It's true. I'm sure you can figure out killer. the whole. We just get a British accent. Come on now. Yeah, figure I, it out. We've heard bad British accents in movies before. It's not it would that be nothing bad. A cup of tea. All right. As we continue going around in, the it, NFL. Insensitive. Julio Jones is another guy that could be on the move. And we've heard all about, you know, where he wants to go, whether or not he's actually going to get traded. I think it's going to happen at this point after he went on Shannon Sharp's Fox Sports One show and said, I'm out of there. Feels pretty inevitable at this point. Someone said, look at fat Thor. Rodgers can do Avengers. (laughs) (laughs) Touche, sir. Touche. So apparently Chris Sims, former NFL quarterback, Phil Sims' son, he works for, for Pro Football Talk right now, and he said that he believes Julio would like to play for one of two teams, either the Patriots or the Tennessee Titans. He said he wants to win a Super Bowl, though, doesn't he? He did indeed. And the Patriots are on that list? And so are the Titans. Okay, I can see the Have Titans. Have you seen the arm on Mac Jones? Have you seen the arm on Cam Newton? <laughs> 
It ain't great. <laughs> Apparently, he's super close with Cam, though, so that might have something that might to be do a with reason. This. You're either going to go try and win a championship or go out playing with your best friend. Absolutely. So my question to you guys, would it change the way that you look at the AFC at all if he was dealt to one of those two teams? If it ended up being the Titans or the Patriots, how would that change the outlook for you and the AFC this year? Well, if he goes to the Patriots... I still think the Buffalo Bills are better. Like, I still think Buffalo's number one. The Patriots would be number two for me. Like, they oh, they overstepped the Miami Dolphins without question. Um, if he goes to the Titans, I still think it's a pretty competitive race between Tennessee and Indy. Like, Houston's not going to be relevant, yeah. and I don't see Jacksonville being anything special this year. Although Tim Tebow is the tight end there. So I think there's more of an impact if he goes to the Patriots than there would be to Tennessee. See, I think there's more of Tennessee because I think if he goes to Tennessee, then I think Tennessee becomes the favorites. I, I have no faith in Carson Wentz at quarterback in Indy. I really oh, don't. Yeah, I don't either. So I, I think that— But their defense is incredible. Their defense is good, but then you add in the running game and you can come out of play action and try to hit Julio. I, I think that would be the biggest thing. If Tennessee can get him, I think it makes him the clear-cut favorites in the AFC South. In terms of where they would be in the AFC, I still AFC think— is loaded this year, or at least it appears fourth, to be. Maybe. Yeah, I, maybe not even that. They may be like fifth on the win a division. You've got the Chiefs, Baltimore, Cleveland, Buffalo. Maybe Miami takes another step this year. Um, we'll see on the Chargers with the new coaching staff there. Cincy will be interesting too now with the new weapon. Yeah, they could be. Um, I mean, they got I, four wins with nothing. The Titans would be the one that interests me the most. I think the Titans could take that next step. And it's hard to say that because two years ago they were in the AFC championship game. But I think they could be a legitimate threat in the AFC this year, the way that Buffalo was to the Chiefs last year, if they are able to get Julio Jones. I think you guys are right on the New England side of things. Maybe they can make things interesting for the second spot in the AFC East, and maybe that's how they get into the postseason. But I just don't view them as a team that could be any sort of like legit competitor, even if they added Julio Jones to the mix. If you're Julio and your goal is to win a Super Bowl, like none of those teams get you any closer. Right? Like, why? Like, you need to go to a team that's going to get you close. Like, those two picks seem to just be relationships because AJ Brown, of course, I mean, Julio's his hero. And then you got the Cam Newton connection. But if you're Brown or if you're Julio, why wouldn't you want to go to a team that's close to a Super Bowl? Like, why wouldn't you want to go to Buffalo or possibly Green Bay? Hell, see if they could figure something out with Tampa. Rams just don't have room for them. No, Rams aren't nowhere near that. Come on. The tough part is figuring out who the team is that wants him, that is a legitimate threat this year, and has the cap space to make it happen. I know that's not the sexy part of these conversations, but having the cap space is really important when he, you're trying to bring in a $15 million player, you know? And so, that, like, I would love to see the Chiefs go out and get him. That would be a lot of fun to add him to that offense. It's a little tough to add $15 million to their their salary cap situation well, right Patty. now. Patty. Tell Patty M to start taking some of that money off that big contract he just signed. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. All right. As we continue going around the NFL, ESPN put together their projections for rookies going into this upcoming season. I would love to get your guys' thoughts on a few of the superlatives for the year. Who do you believe out of the rookie quarterbacks will lead them in passing yards this year? So among rookie quarterbacks, who will finish with the most passing yards this year? The guys that are kind of up for this, I guess, if you will. There's five of them. Lawrence, Zach Wilson, 
Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones. Out of those five, the first rounders, who do you think will finish with the most passing yardage this year? As it sits right now, Trevor Lawrence. If San Francisco finds a way to get Julio Jones, I'd pick Trey Lance. But we're going off the roster right now. I'd say Trevor Lawrence because has some pretty good weapons at the wide receiver position. They drafted Travis Etienne, his teammate in Clemson, who can be a, a universal player, whether it be running back or wide receiver. Um, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be the leader in passing yards this season. I just don't see the weapons for those other players. Yeah, I think I'm with you because I'm not sold on Wilson. Lance, he may not even play that much because of He's Garoppolo. the one that's so interesting. Fields is even interesting to me. I think he's going to be the starter, but the Bears don't seem willing to name him starter because, you know, they do have the red rifle. Uh, Mac Jones Jones and his arm, but again, he may not be starting. I I think it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. I think we're going to see a kind of a implementation? Are you making up words right now? It might be. I don't know. What? They're probably going to they're going to bring in the Clemson offense basically. Implementing. Implementing. (laughs) Thank you. You were close. Somewhat there. Just just keep pushing through. Guys, grammar's hard. Uh, But they're (laughs) going to implement kind of a, to me, a college slash Clemson style offense. You've got Travis Etienne who's electric out of the backfield. Tim Tebow. Whatever. Uh, I think he's going to, it's going to take time for defenses to adjust to that. I I think we're going to see Lawrence get off to a hot start, which will carry him into this number here, leading in passing yards. Then he'll kind of cool off. But, yeah, I think it's him for sure. So Lawrence is the odds-on favorite here. I'm going to go Trey Lance, though. To be a little different from you guys, I'm going to take Trey Lance as leading the young rookies in passing yardage this year. I think he will lead the rookies in passing yardage if he starts week one. That's really the question here. Will he start week one or not? I think they're going to want to get started on this early. I think they're going to end up seeing him being a little bit more advanced in training camp than they expected him to be. And he'll take that, that job from week one and run with it. Uh, next one up, which rookie do you believe will finish with the most rushing yardage this year? So the guys that ESPN has projected for the most going into the season, Najee Harris with the Steelers. Javante Williams, the former North Carolina running back, is now with the Denver Broncos. You got Michael Carter, also former North Carolina running back, who's with the New York Jets. Travis Etienne, who's been playing receiver for the Jags, but he is also on this list. And then Justin Fields, funny enough, is fifth on the list, projected for 500 rushing yards this year with the Bears. Which guy do you think will lead the rookies in rushing yardage this year, Alex? I think it's going to be Najee Harris. But that offensive line still sucks mightily. Like, they did not upgrade that area. But I I still believe Najee Harris will because they have at least the offense to put him in a position to succeed. If I were to have a runner-up, I'd say it's Justin Fields because I think they're going to go with the red rifle for one game and then be like, oh, you still suck. Let's put in Justin Fields, and then I think that's where he takes off. Remember, I think it was the Bears that did this. It was Mike Glennon got the first start. Or no, 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 I think it was Tampa Bay who went with Mike Glennon oh, for yeah. like a quarter. They're like, oh, God, this, this is not going to work. This is bad. <laughs> and they ended up benching him like going into halftime. What did we just do? That could be what we see with Andy Dalton this year. I think it's going to be Justin Fields that leads the – among rookies and rushing yards all those running backs to me they don't have that great of an offensive line and I think that's going to be part of their struggles I I don't see Najee Harris I love him as a running back but until he gets an offensive line I think he's going to have a really tough time here in the NFL Javante Williams if you're doing a fantasy draft at some point in the next couple of months ladies and gentlemen draft him especially if you're doing an early fantasy draft I don't know why you would but maybe you're a dynasty or something draft Javante Williams the running back for the Denver Broncos quick prediction for you 
I think they will cut Melvin Gordon before the season. What? I think Javante Williams will be the starting running back for the Denver Broncos, and I think we will finish with more than 1,000 rushing yards this year. Javante Williams would be my answer to this What about question. Frank Gore? Where's he at? I don't know, man. <laughs> Come on. You know it's not a Frank Gore Friday. <laughs> That's true. We got we to gotta save it. Last one. Let's go quick on this one. Who will lead the rookie receivers in receiving yardage this year? The guys that are at the top of the list for ESPN's projections. Jamar Chase, your favorite, Alex. <laughs> Devontae Smith with the Eagles. Jalen Waddle with the Dolphins. Kyle Pitts with the Atlanta Falcons. And Rashad Bateman with the Ravens. Who are you going with to lead the rookies in receiving yardage this year? I'm going to go Waddle with Miami. I think he's going to have the most success because that offense was already pretty set up well. And you have the tight end threat of Gusecki. I like Tua with the connection with Waddle. So I think he's going to win. I have no faith in Tua's quarterback either. I know I'm throwing shade at a bunch of quarterbacks here and all that, but I, I think I'm going to go with Pitts. I love Kyle Pitts. I think he's going to be one of the best players to come out of this draft. I think he's going to get the ball a lot from Matt Ryan, so I'll take him. And we heard Especially Matt Ryan's Julio arm Williams. shot. I was just going to yeah. say, and I really Matt thought Ryan's, about that. Matt Ryan's arm is shot, so just a couple drag routes across the middle. Boom. I'm going with Jamar Chase. The wide receiver that is now with Cincy, he's reuniting with Joe Burrow. The last time that we saw those two together, it resulted in one of the best offensive seasons we've ever seen in the history of college football. Hard to lead the NFL in receiving yards when your quarterback's <laughs> on his ass the entire game. I'm going to go with Jamar Chase. I'm going to take him. I think he finishes with more than 1,000 yards this, this year. They do have a lot of guys that they got to get targets to, but I'm going to take Jamar Chase to lead the rookies in receiving yardage. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer, but next... We always talk about that net front presence for the Blues. How do they get that back? Craig Burby had some answers on that earlier today. We'll play them for you next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. They need to make some tweaks to the roster and, and have Rottweilers that want to be dogs on a bone, pardon the reference. That, that want to play that hard game with a snarl and not at the expense of skill because I like what I see from my man Jordan Cairo. He had a nice year this year. He had a good progression this year and I think he can be a really good player. Robbie Thomas, I've always loved him since he was in London in the O. Uh, he was banged up with injury but nice to see him back towards the end of the season but if they can add some of the right pieces to this group and, and these guys can, can uh, reset their hunger levels in the quest of getting two, why not? That was Kevin Weeks on with the fast lane yesterday. If you missed any of that, check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. I think he's saying there what we've been saying all season. Alex, the Blues just need a little bit more grit, a little bit more sandpaper. Pardon my pun, my uh, um, the the phrasing there, but that's that's what they're missing. That's what they had to have this year, and they didn't have it. Craig Berube. Doug Armstrong, they both spoke to the media earlier today. And the number one question that I think a lot of people had for them is, hey, you talk so much about the net front presence this year. How do you make sure that you add that going into next season? Here's what Craig Berube had to say about that. Well, it's got to be, it's really getting to the net is, it's got to be on, on everybody. It's not just, you know, we're going to go get a couple net front guys. And it's 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 an attitude that you got to go to the, to the net more. And, you know, we didn't get enough rebound chances because of that. They don't, we weren't at the net enough for rebounds and things like that, or get to the net for rebounds and things like that. And that was a problem that we, you know, talked about all the time and get our team to do it. So it's, for me, it's just a more of an attitude that that's where, if you want to score in this league um, on a consistent basis, 
as a player and be a good scoring team, you got to you got to go to the net and get those rebound goals because that's where a lot of the goals are. Shall know that it's a will. It's a will to play in front of the net. And frankly, the Blues just didn't have it against the Colorado Avalanche. They did a great job of keeping them to the perimeter. But it just whether it be injuries or want the quote from Craig Berube earlier today, it impacted the offense. And that's why you weren't seeing the amount of goals this season from them, because you didn't have guys in front of the net. Now, guys went there. Braden Shen was in front of the net. They did just get some really unlucky bounces. The same with Jaden Schwartz, the same with Ryan O'Reilly. But it's those depth pieces. What's the area that we were most talking about this season? left wing on the top line. You went through Samford to Blake to Barbashev to Cairo to Thomas to Bozak to Shen. Like you went through everybody and nobody worked there. Somebody has to go to the front of the net because Perron's the shooter. O'Reilly's the playmaker. You got to have, so you got to have that, that will to score the goal the way that Colorado did. And frankly, hearing him talk that way, it seems like it's more of an internal thing rather than fixing it from the outside. Like you could bring in somebody who goes to the front of the net but that's only going to impact one line for you. And one line's not going to score you goals. We saw that in the Colorado Avalanche series. You got to have four lines that are willing to do that. So that's where it really comes down to. Who are the guys right now that are on this roster that are guaranteed to be here next year? So set Jaden Schwartz aside for a moment. Who are the guys on this roster that you think consistently do it? That consistently go to the front of the net that give you what you're looking for that way? Perron, Shen, Schwartz. Those three for me go to the net. So set Schwartz aside just because we don't set, know if he's going to be back next year. There. Um, O'Reilly. Yeah, definitely. O'Reilly Tyler Bozak, although he's an unrestricted. So you kind of have set him aside. Oscar Sundquist does. And Ivan Barbashev does those four guys. So we've got O'Reilly, Shin, Perron, Sonny, Barbie. Those are the five guys. I think you need to add at least one, probably two more players to that list before next season. And maybe Dakota Joshua is one of those guys, uh, right? And hopefully Clem Costin is one of those guys. Doug Armstrong is very high. He told the media today on Clem Costin next season. So maybe internally you have a couple of guys that have developed through your system that can be in that mold as well. But I think this team needs to add one, maybe two more of those guys. And Jaden Schwartz, I'm with you, Alex, does some of that. I I think he's relatively consistent, certainly has been consistent in his history at going to the front of the net. I would like to see a power forward that does that. And if that means that I can't bring back Jaden Schwartz, it stinks because I would like to have that guy back in my lineup, especially if money wasn't an object. But I would love to see another guy. You're not going to find another Sonny, but kind of more in that mold uh, a bigger dude that is physical in front of the net that plays that style hell they used to have and Patrick Maroon that guy doesn't exist very very much in hockey but if you can find somebody like that kind of on that spectrum somewhere that's the player that I would like them to go out and acquire somewhere yeah and now the question comes who is that guy because free agency there's really not many of them you can look in pipe dream of Gabriel Landis guy all you want but it's not going to happen he's going back to Colorado I can pretty much guarantee you that Brandon Saad's interesting, but the thing with Brandon Saad is he's effective right now on the third line for Colorado. Can he be effective for the Blues on the top line? I don't know. Is that because of the skill that they have, or is that more because of the skill that Brandon Saad has? He's an interesting one. He's 28 years old, but he's probably going to command you something of what Jaden Schwartz provides you. Other than that, BK, there are not a lot of power forwards on the market this season. So if you're going to look for that it's going to have to be through a trade. And I don't know who that is. You People text in nonstop air comfort service text line 65780. Get the Kachuk brothers. 
Well, that's great. But the reason you want the Kachuk brothers is the reason Calgary is not going to trade you the Kachuk brothers because they're great at what they do. Yeah, guys, if the, if the Kachuk brothers are available, like, yeah, go get, go pay whatever it costs to go get those guys. They're they're incredible players that fit exactly what the Blues need. They're not available. And, and until we see a report that suggests that they are, it's just not a realistic conversation to have. Doug Armstrong was also asked about this and how they go about finding those players that Alex is talking about. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I think you have to you have to go to that area to score goals in the NHL. There's there's no question. Uh, uh, Hoffman, uh, Tarasenko, there's there's few players that can score from distance. You have to go into the paint to score. And uh, I think one of the areas where we need to improve is our our desire to go in there and not be half committed. We didn't make it very, I thought Colorado made it a lot more difficult on Binnings and the sea pucks than, than we made it on, on uh, the avalanche goaltenders. And that's an area that we're going to have to improve. So I think it starts internally. I think that's where the discussions are going to begin. Doug Armstrong and his staff are going to sit down and say, okay, what can these guys provide us? And look at the restricted free agents. You got a lot of those pieces that you need, are Zach Sanford, Sammy Blay, Ivan Barbashev, uh, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo, Dakota Joshua. Can these guys provide us what we need? And if the answer is no... Can I, can I answer that for myself? I can't answer it for how the Blues view it. Yeah, go ahead. My answer is no. For myself. I, I've, I've seen it with Sanford and some of these other guys that you have internally. Can they be helpful players for you? Sure, absolutely. But I, I have a really hard time myself going into next season expecting them to be something that they haven't shown me previously. It's possible. Yeah. Sonny became a totally different player suddenly. And he was among your most important pieces in that run to the cup. He totally changed who he was as a player. So it's happened before. But Sonny is a special case for a reason. That's not how it typically happens. I, I think the answer on Zach Sanford is no, because we've seen it now on a consistent basis. But I wouldn't be so fast as to vote Zach Sanford off the island because he does play the penalty kill for Craig Berube. He could be a fourth-line player for you next season. Sammy Blay's an interesting one. I think that's going to be a lot of internal discussion because when he's healthy and playing in a top-six role, he scores goals. But can he stay healthy, and can he stay healthy playing that way? But I don't think there are a lot of great options for you. Now, Clem Costin is going to be one of those. And I know people are like, well, he hasn't played much. Doug Armstrong talked to the media and he basically was glowing on this kid. He said he loved everything about him in Russia and the KHL championship. They hope to see that next season. He's a big piece of our future. I would imagine he's going to be one of those net front presences for you. There's a younger kid, Alexei Toropchenko, who could be an option for you. But internally, it's going to be after guys that take on new role. Vladimir Tarasenko is going to have to become a power forward for you if you want to have success in that area. Um, Robert Thomas is going to have to put on some muscle and become that player for you. The same with Jordan Cairo. If they're going to play that way, you it's a buy-in from all 12 forwards. And I think that's what it's going to come down to because to match what Colorado did to you, you have to find a way to take the goaltender's eyes away. It's interesting because, I mean, you just... You start running out of places on your roster, right? With Sonny coming back, with Tarasenko returning, if you're looking at guys like Clem Costin as being significant pieces to what you're doing, Perron back in the lineup, you start looking at it, you're like, okay, so where are the outside additions going to play? Where are they going to get their ice time for this team? Where does Jaden Schwartz go if he's back? All of these different, the Hoffman, same thing, Bozak. And so it does make you wonder, how many of these guys that we are kind of right now counting on to return aren't going to be back with the Blues next year. I mean, you look at the your right wing situation, for example, Alex. If we think they can upgrade at that spot somewhere, 
Well, who are you taking off the ice? Perron, Tarasenko, or Kairu? Those are your top three right-wingers right now. And there's a possibility that Hoffman comes back. Look at your center situation. O'Reilly, Shin, Thomas. I think Joshua probably fits in right now as that fourth-line center. And Sonny Barbashev, as well. if they bring him back. I mean, there's just there's a lot of guys that we enjoy watching on this roster, and there's going to be some hard decisions that have to be made this offseason for Doug Armstrong and for Craig Burby. The, the, the area of question, concern, however you want to look at it, is without question left wing. Because if you don't bring Schwartz back or if you don't bring Mike Hoffman back, your left wingers, as we sit today, are Barbie and Clifford. And Barbie's restricted, and you don't even know if he's going to be here in Clifford. Your left wing options are Clifford. Like, that's where we're at. I would imagine Clem. Nice. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I would imagine Clem Costin's going to fall into that category, but sure. that's the area you're going to have to fix. So, if you're looking at left wing, I'll give you some options. Gabriel Landeskog, well, he's, I, again, I can guarantee you he's not coming to St. Louis. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is one, but do you want a guy who's going to make somewhere around five to six million dollars and has been playing for the Oilers? I mean, he hasn't had a whole lot of success there for them. Taylor Hall's not going to be leaving Boston, so you can cross him off the list. A guy named Zach Hyman, Tomas Tatar, Kyle Palmieri, who's normally a right winger, Brandon Sods, that left wing option. You see where I'm getting at. Nick Felino's another one, but again, that's going to be 33, 34 year old player. There aren't guys that are overwhelmingly sitting here going, oh my gosh, this guy needs to be on the Blues. So for me, it starts internally. And then you come to the side of, okay, we might have to hit the trade market. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we'll play some more of what Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube had to say earlier today in their exit interviews. But coming up next, you're going to want to hear what Stephen A. Smith had to say yesterday. That's coming up in the juncture on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. So, Alex, you may have heard ESPN is diving more into the hockey arena. Oh, yeah, they are. I'm sure that makes you very excited as a hockey fan. Frankly, I just can't wait for the uh, breakdown on the ESPN side. That's going to be exciting. So we got a little bit of a taste of it yesterday. Stephen A. Smith, noted hockey guy. I would put his hockey knowledge up against just about anybody's. <clears throat> Dove in headfirst into the... McDavid not making it out of the first round of the playoffs debate. Here's what Stephen A. Smith had to say. I'm going to do that hockey. Yes, I am. And here's what you need to know. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and the Edmonton Oilers. Frankly, I'm amazing. Newsflash, ladies and gentlemen, they got swept out of the first round of the playoffs last night. Look, we all know. I'm not a hockey expert, okay? The only thing I know about hockey is that the puck is black. But even I have heard that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, I've heard of both of those guys. Connor McDavid, the phenom, the future of the sport, the NHL's leading scorer. Dreisaitl, second in scoring to McDavid this year. The NHL's leading scorer last year. Swept in the first round? Now, how you going to do hockey like that? You're lucky. You're not basketball players. I'll tell you that. I'd be on you much harder than I am right now. Connor McDavid, you've only won one damn playoff series in your six-year career. You got to do more than, than that with your abilities, man. Come on, man. 
I get what they're trying to do there, but honestly, that's embarrassing for ESPN. What? That's that's embarrassing. Like, I'll you, take Stephen A. On you cannot a deny week. that everything he just said was typed out in a teleprompter for him. Yeah, I, I found it hugely entertaining. He didn't say one thing that was interesting. All he did was say Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, the top leading scorers. The best part about what he just said was the end of it going, you can't get swept in the first round. Okay, thanks, Stephen. Like, come on. Get out of here. I mean, he. so first of all, it's all tongue-in-cheek. I get the shtick that they're doing because he, he basically is playing to the point of, like, he doesn't he understand doesn't hockey. He doesn't know anything about hockey. Well, then get, like, you're the new home for the NHL. Get people that know hockey well, with them. Well, they're him. going to. Like, the, the, you're not going to see Stephen A. on the Blues versus Avalanche broadcast next year. Come on, I um, see you. I do find it interesting. I, I am curious to get your thoughts on this, Alex, just to like go a little more serious side of things. It is strange that Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers have not been able to read like to do anything in the playoffs with maybe the best player in the sport, at yeah. least one of the three best players in the sport. It's kind of wild. It, it reminds me a little bit of what happened early on in the Ovechkin career, where yeah. he was always compared to Sidney Crosby. Crosby, Crosby had the winning. rings. And Ovechkin couldn't. I'm certainly not going as far as what Stephen A. said. McDavid's going to get his, but it's 24 years old. He hasn't done it yet, and it's it's a little stunning that they just swept in the first round. Yeah, look, this isn't anything on Connor McDavid. I mean, no. sure it is, but I mean, like he's the captain of the team, yes. But like he and Leon Dreisaitl were the only guys that I think that had multiple points in the postseason series against Winnipeg. The difference between what pittsburgh is doing and edmonton is doing is all about roster construction like pittsburgh and Sidney crosby won those cups because they had a player named evgeny malkin and a player named chris letang and a goaltender named mark andre Fleury, who we've all noticed is pretty damn good at the sport that he's playing and those were all selections that they made when they were bad teams their rebuild only took like five years before they could turn it around Edmonton's going through this problem because they've busted on every top pick they've gone with. Taylor Hall's been a bust. You know, Leon, uh, uh, not really, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins has been a bust for them. They, they, they have no defensemen that are considered top defensemen. Darnell Nurse is getting there, but it's not anything special. And their goaltenders have just been awful. So I don't know if Connor McDavid's going to get his if he stays in this Edmonton team. Alex Ovechkin, there was a commitment that needed to be had from him, and that helped when they got Barry Trotz as the head coach that told him, you're an amazing player, but you're never going to win a cup until you start playing defense. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl will never win cups unless they start playing defense as much as they play offense, but you also have to build a pretty good team around them, and right now Edmonton doesn't have it. Well, here's the thing. I have been told you cannot win a cup when you have a player making $10-plus million. So here's what the Edmonton Oilers should do to fix this problem, Take Alex. Take $2.5 million away from him? No, what they should do is trade him because oh. they could be a better team if they didn't have Connor McDavid. Because oh, when you, when you no. make $10 million, Stephen A. had a better breakdown than you did on that one. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the uh, 646. Guys, I think Stephen A. should join Alex for the Blues pregame next year. Oh, my God. I would frankly love that. That would be incredible. That would be so much that fun. Would be like my, that would be like my spotlight for him. Be like, hey, Stephen A., let me show you how it's done on this side of it. You know basketball better than anybody, my man. Stay away from hockey, though. I got you hockey. What do you think Stephen A.'s breakdown would be of the Blues season this year? T-Bone, you want to play that cut again that he just <laughs> they just played? Basically the exact same. You got Ryan O'Reilly, Conn Smythe Trophy winner. How you, you won the Stanley slipped? Cup two years ago. 
And you're gonna get knocked out in the first round? Who the Sweat? hell do you think you are? He got the goal! <laughs> he got the goal, <laughs> man! Rebuild! Yeah. Rebuild! Blow it up! That would be the breakdown. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll play a game of more happen. Coming up next, though, let's hear from Craig Berube, Doug Armstrong. What needs to happen for the Blues this offseason? They had a bunch of answers for us earlier today. That's next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The Blues are going through their exit interviews today. It sounds like Craig Berube will be on with the fast lane in about an hour or so. So nice. be sure to tune into the fast lane today from 2 to 6. You will have Craig Berube with the guys coming up at 2.15. Let's hear from him right now, Alex, because the coaches, general manager, the players yesterday all going through their exit interviews on what took place this season, what the offseason outlook is going to be. And Berube was asked one of the biggest questions for the Blues right now. Is your cup window still open? I think our core is really strong here. Core group of guys. And plus, from the Stanley Cup team, plus Alk and Krug to our lineup helps for sure. They're good players. do believe that we have the core. Um, you always have to tinker and do things and and find players uh in the salary cap era and things like that to to make your team better and and you know doug's always done that for us and done a good job of that so i do believe in this team yes next year is the fourth year of that five-year window we've talked so much about alex for the blues to win that cup do you still do you agree with baruby that they're they're still right in the middle of that window and it's open i do i I really do and I'll sound like a homer here, but I do think the core is in place. I think when you look at what won that Stanley Cup, yes, you lost Alex Petrangelo, but the other pieces are that Stanley Cup run where Jordan Bennington, Colton Pareko, Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen, and Vladimir Tarasenko, and those are your main pieces. And now you are hitting a crossroads point to finding out if you're bringing back Jaden Schwartz or not, but you have the younger players. Jordan Kyrou has emerged as a top six scorer. You still have David Perron, who was a major piece in that run, and you got Robert Thomas, so... I think there has to be some tinkering because you have to compete with the teams now in the Central Division that are really good and are going to be good for a really long time. Um, So you're going to have to find some pieces and you're going to have to have a a group mentality buy-in. But I think that that cup window is open because look at the next two years. It's the final two years of O'Reilly and Tarasenko. So one thing that they need to do is add more pieces to what they're doing. And Doug Armstrong talked earlier today with the media about square pegs and round holes and how this year they, they maybe had some of those situations where things weren't the perfect fit for what Craig Burby wanted to do with this team. And Army knows that the Blues need to avoid that this offseason with the square pegs. Do we have this Tanner looking for currently senor okay um, I, I might have labeled this incorrectly what, what yeah, do we this have does look kind of weird what do we have no for squares. Do- we'll go ahead and try to make this a little easier so that way we can uh find things with the audio but the blues had several pieces this year that just didn't seem to fit the way that they wanted him to here after a slight pause is Doug armstrong but i i think yeah craig and i craig and i uh, uh need to to sit down and 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 talk uh probably in the next couple of weeks you got to let the dust settle a little bit i think uh emotions are are a great thing and they can also be a detriment you're going to let the dust settle I, again i want to hear from uh the management staff that i work with i want him to get a good indication from his coaches but i think for any organization to to have success you have to evolve 
I think I have to evolve as a manager. I think he has to evolve as a coach. And I, and we talked about our players have to evolve in, in, in the areas where the goals are scored from. So there's, there's growth patterns for everyone that are necessary. And, uh, you, you, I have to I have to be in in connection with Craig. There's no sense going out getting a player that I vision one thing and then it's a square peg into a round hole. So he and I got to continue to work on that. There was a pause there because I labeled it as a, a difference of mentality between Armstrong and Barubi there. But, but I think that's a really interesting quote there because doesn't it sound an awful lot describing Mike Hoffman? Like, did that not sound like he was describing the situation with Mike Hoffman, where you brought in a guy who plays one way and maybe he doesn't match into the Craig Berube role? I think when you go into this offseason, you can't just go into it saying, well, they need a power forward. Well, who do they get? Well, you go out there and find the best power forward and sign him to a contract. No, that's not how it works. You got to find a guy who matches your system well enough, right? Like you went out there and got Ryan O'Reilly because you believed that he could adapt to this system and play that. You went out and signed David Perron that offseason because you knew that he was what you needed. You brought in Pat Maroon because he was a power forward physical player. That's what I think you do when you go into this offseason. There's going to be a lot of conversation between the front office and the coaching staff moving forward, finding out what went wrong at five on five. What happened at the beginning of the season on the power play? Why was the penalty kill so bad? Why are we bad in front of our net defensively? How do we get more net front presence? All of those answers have to come with an identity. It has to be a model of how we want to play speed or physicality. You can mix the two, but you're going to have to to lean heavy on one way. That'll dictate the players you bring. Doug Armstrong is an excellent president of baseball or president of hockey operations. Probably baseball too. He's excellent at his job. I want to make that very clear before what I am about to say. This offseason, they need to have a plan for the players that they go out and acquire. And I think that is one thing that might have, even if it was a slight disconnect between him and Barubi and the way that these players were going to be utilized, it felt, again, from the outside looking in, like that existed this season. And one guy that I would point to in particular would be Mike Hoffman. Hoffman is a power play specialist. We knew that coming into the year. It is why Alex said he was so excited about this power play unit and why he talked about Hull and Oates on the power play this year. Yeah, I regret those decisions. And then you get into the season, and Mike Hoffman was barely on the first power play unit until like the last month of the season. There's a disconnect there. I don't know why it existed, but it was there. This offseason, they've got to avoid that. If you go out and you're looking at whoever, maybe it's a power forward, or maybe they'll go out and get another power play specialist. I don't know what this offseason is going to bring because they do need to continue being good on the power play. That's part of why they had success this year at the end of the season. Um, whoever you go out there and acquire, there needs to be a cohesion between the coaching staff mm-hmm. and the front office. And it's not just going out and getting this player that has this skill set. It's also this is the way that he will be utilized. And he's going to be on the penalty kill and he's going to be at five on five, ideally with these line mates. Like those are the things that need to go into those conversations. It can't just be, Hey, Mike Hoffman's available. He'd be good. Let's go get him. Yeah, you, you can't know? just go get the best player available and say, he's going to be perfect for our team. You got to get somebody who matches this system. And I do think that there was a little bit of a miscommunication on the front of, we want to go this route but yet we still are playing this route, meaning you got the power and you got the speed. Now, Craig Berube addressed it, though, and he said, like, you can mix those two. Absolutely. I, I mean, look at the way the Tampa. You have to. Yeah, look at the way Tampa Bay plays. Tampa Bay won a cup last year because they played with size, but yet they have the speed of guys like Kucherov and Stamkos and Kalorn and Paquette. 
you got to get players that can do both. And I think the Blues have that. Like another year of Jordan Cairo, I'm intrigued by because if Cairo goes into the offseason and puts some muscle on, that's a dangerous player. Robert Thomas knows that he wasn't good last season, this season. You got to fix that going into next year. Schwartz, Shen, Perron, O'Reilly, like these guys will take that evolution. But you can't just say, well, the best free agent's on the market and let's get him. It's got to be a guy who matches. And sometimes those are the guys that go under the radar that help a team win. There are some similarities between hockey and basketball. And it's not just because it's a five-man unit. But there are, like you have to be built. You have to have a roster construction where you have guys that can do multiple different things. You can't win an NBA title by exclusively having shooting. You're going to have to have at some point a little bit of a rim presence to detract the other teams to prevent them from just going to the bucket all day long. It's mm-hmm. higher percentage shot. Same thing for the NHL, right? You want to have that sniper that can stand out there with the one-timer the way that the Blues did this year with both Perron and Hoffman. You need those guys. You also need guys that will go to the front of the net. You need guys that are going to be willing to eat it in front of your own net. Like you got to have all of that stuff. And so a guy like Jordan Cairo immensely valuable for the Blues. You need a player that can skate through the neutral zone and get his own shot in the postseason. But you also have to have a clear identity for your roster from top to bottom. And that's the thing that was missing this year. The one other thing that we talked a lot about this season, Alex, was the leadership and what the transition has been from the previous leadership group to where they are today. And Doug Armstrong thought that his captain this season did a heck of a job keeping everything together for the Blues. It, it was difficult for him and for me, quite honestly, because you're you're traveling, but you're. I wasn't allowed to get the, the leadership group together to take them out for dinner, to do things that I've done in the past with that group, to, uh, you know, Craig and I uh, or any coach and I would take those guys out maybe – once every month, once every couple of months. Uh, and everything was just, uh, it was awkward. Uh, I think I think he did a good job. I'm excited for for his leadership style and leadership skills. And I know uh, he takes a lot of pride in it. I know he's going to work very hard this summer to make sure that we come back as a, as a 100% committed team. And uh, wasn't the easiest task uh, coming in under this environment, and I thought he did a good job. You know, it's interesting, too, because with Alex Petrangelo, when you think of when he took over as captain, that was post-David Backus, which would have been 2016 that he took over as the captain. My dates might be a little jumbled on that, so I apologize. But regardless, the first year that he took over as a captain of the Blues, if I'm not mistaken, that was the year that they missed the playoffs by a point. Or maybe that was the second year as captain. What I'm trying to get at is the struggles. It's not easy to just become captain of a team and then take over and be like, oh, you're an amazing captain. Like sometimes that takes some <laughs> leadership that goes onto it. And the fact that he talked about the irregularities this season that the team had to go through and what a normal season can provide. Like that's the stuff behind doors that we don't know about. The players don't talk about going out to dinner once a month with Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong and addressing the needs of the team. Talking about, well, this area isn't working really well. And then Berube can go back and address that with the coaching staff and they can fix it on the ice. That's why I think this season is just so hard to put a measuring stick on. Yeah, they, they underperformed and they should have been better. But I think when you can get back to what a normal season looks like for a team that has success in the past and can have an off season and can have a training camp and can go through a season where they build that chemistry and build that bond and Baruby and Armstrong can go through the areas that they need to do. I think it's going to benefit this team in the long run. Are they going to have challenges with the Colorado avalanche? Well, hell yeah, they are because that team's awesome. But I think when you have a group of players that are bought into one mentality that the coaching staff, the management staff, the leadership, the players are all on board with, 
that's where the success comes from. And that's where I think he's talking about the how irregular this season was and how tough of a job that would be for Ryan O'Reilly to do as a captain. It's one fifteen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in about 15 minutes, the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, will join the show to talk about some of the things that we heard today from both Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube. That's in about 15 minutes or so. Craig Berube, by the way, will be on with the fast lane coming up at 2.15. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us two options. We will tell you which is more likely to happen. More likely to happen next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a stroke on the air. I don't know what just happened. You just you choked here ch- like the Blues top six did in the playoffs. Oh. oh! Got him! You need to get off the air right now. I'll go ahead and Sorry, take a take do, do you want me to start this open one off for you right now? Here, let me do it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. You send us two scenarios. We'll tell you which is more likely to happen. That was really good. BK, take it away. I didn't choke there, I did I, boys? Know what just happened. Choked like uh, Cardinals bullpen in a tight game uh, in the fifth already, inning. We already oh, went down on. this route. I already got the blues. From the 618, more likely to happen. Tarasenko has a near career year next year for the Blues, or he's not on the Blues next season. More likely to happen. Tarasenko has a huge year for the Blues, or he's not on the Blues next year. Uh, I will say huge year for the Blues because I don't think he's going anywhere. He's got a no trade clause. The only way he's going somewhere is if you expose him in the expansion draft. And I hate to tell people this, but I don't know if Seattle's taking Vladimir Tarasenko in the expansion draft. They might be going young and cheap in a salary flat cap season. Uh, So I'll say close to a normal year because, look, he said he's played 34 games in the last two years, guys. Like 34 on top of the eight games he's played in the playoffs. That's That's not a recipe for success. And I know people have been hard on him going over to play for Russia in the World Championships games. But look, Doug Armstrong Armstrong said it's a good thing for him because he's going to go over there and play more hockey games. Yeah, he's got a groin injury, but that didn't keep him out of hockey games. He played them in the playoffs for you and he scored two goals. So I think it's good for him to go over there. That, I believe, is a couple of weeks. And then he comes back long offseason. I'll go more likely that he has a close to a career year because I could see him scoring 30 to 35 goals next season. Yeah, I'm with you. I just think it's going to be impossible to move to Vladdy. I just don't see it. That That's the only reason I'm going with. If he had no, a, didn't have the no trade clause, I would say it's more likely he'd be gone. But because he does, I'll say more likely he has the career yeah, year. I'd agree with that. I am going to go with you guys as well. I just don't see Vladdy going elsewhere. Right, wrong, and different. It seems to me like he will be a blue in 2021, 2022. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen from the 314. More likely that Tanner gets a date. <laughs> I love these are weekly. Or oh, another reliever goes into the circle of trust by the All-Star break. Oh, Man, this is this is a tight race. Tanner, this is hard for you because you throw everyone into the circle of trust. Tanner, we'll get the we'll yeah, get let's to you start first. With you. So what is it for me? You I get, a date, I get a date. There's no or, t- timeline. Yeah, well, it has to be you well, get which a one date comes first before you put another player in the circle of trust. <laughs> He'll put the entire bullpen in the circle of trust before Fernandez that. should already be there, let's be honest. We're going to be like, did you just say Fernandez, who's got a 7.680 ERA? Yeah. 
He looked really good last night. God. Did you see that fastball? Put it right by Yachty. How can he hit it? Mariano Rivera's son is going to be playing in the Cardinals' bullpen before Tanner gets another Is he in the Cardinals' minor league system? No. Oh, they didn't sign him. I don't even know if he has a son They didn't sign him in the international market, probably, like Fernando Tatis Jr.'s brother. Come on, Tanner, which one? I think it's easy that I get a date before we put another person in the I don't think it's that easy. I think it's a circle of trust. What the hell is that reaction? I think it's a circle of trust. I think we put a player in the circle of trust in the next week because that's how Tanner rolls. I was about to say, I don't know if we will. No, he will. Tanner will. Well, that's, that's not what the question sure. was. It was. No, it wasn't. More likely to happen, Tanner gets a date or puts somebody into the circle of trust. I thought it meant as a whole show. No, we don't do things as a whole show here. Yeah, the answer is a circle of trust. Yeah, Let's circle be honest of trust. Here. 65780 Tanner's is the air comfort service text line for more <laughs> likely to happen. More likely that St. Louis gets an NBA team or the NFL returns to St. Louis. None of the above. Yeah, I was going to say, can I have option C, Professor? I think it's more likely the NFL comes back. I don't think either of these are happening. But... I will get a date before either of these come back. I, I will say. Tanner will get a date before any of these. Tanner will have multiple dates before any of these happen. I can agree on that. I I, I don't think either of those is going to take place, but I'll, I'll say the NFL is more likely than the NBA. I think it's the NBA because I don't see the city of St. Louis even letting the NFL sniff about coming back to St. Louis for okay. how things have ended. And the NBA has got a really good core of players right now represented in or the St. Louis is a good core of players represented in the NBA. It's kind of a hotbed for basketball youth that's turning into college players. So I'd say NBA. I'm with you. I think NBA, I just don't know if the city would embrace another NFL team coming yeah. here, even if it was uh expansion or if it was relocated. God, I just I want, don't know if they would. I want to see an NBA team so bad in St. Louis. Guys, you, know great. What, you know what I've learned from this segment? I'm going to have to do a lot more super swiping. Based, that way I can just get a date and prove you guys wrong. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> Somebody else gets the show. Super swipes for everyone. More likely to happen. Tanner gets a date or BK stops getting Kara to do all the heavy lifting around the house. Uh, definitely Tanner. Yeah, I was going to say Tanner's going to get a date Tanner. way before any of that happens. I heard Kara had to like empty out all of the boxes in the house because you refused to do so because you said you're back hurt well i was working on my grill i had to put my grill grill. together and then i had to put that tv damn tv stand together that thing took like 10 hours damn ikea stands and i was trying to figure out how to put the food processor in the drawer and that obviously didn't work out well for me either ferrario and he had a food processor hit you in the collarbone (laughs) yeah so what do you want from me don't you think when he sent us a photo of that stand and it just laying there it fell apart already no didn't you see the picture it wasn't even his stand there was some random dude in the reflection of the television he just took it off the internet i didn't i'm gonna have to go back and look he googled uh set up tv stands you know how i know all of this is just for show Alex walked into the other room the other day. He's like, man, you need to tell people on the air how, mu- how good of a cook you are. You should. <laughs> Your food smells amazing when I walk in there. Tanner, he comes in every day. He's like, so what did you cook today? And I tell him every day. You just like, go back man. there to smell his food, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. It smells pretty good. And then he gets on the air. He's like, man, you're incompetent. You can't do anything. Yesterday, like, yeah, when, I went to go, yesterday when I went to go to talk to BK, the door was closed. <laughs> it's because he was eating it fast before I came in. Tanner, it's 636. I think you're a fine young man, and if I had a daughter your age, I'd be happy to have her go out on the night on a town with you. Thank you, 636. I appreciate that, I think. Somebody else said, if bro dates count for this, I'll jump on that grenade. He has to buy me the beer, though. That sounds fair, 417. I'd say bro dates count. We need, so things are opening up. 
Cardinals games are about to be at full capacity here within the next couple we need of to, weeks. We need to like sell a night out with T-Bone. We, well, I wasn't going to go that far. Well, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we need to well, sell our producer out to anybody. <laughs> Raise some money for charity? That'd like, be great. Yeah, raise it for like, yeah, raise it for some charities around town. I think we might be able to do something like that. Oh, this, this feels kind of wrong. We might be able to do something like or, that. Um, but what right? I was going to say is we need to take a trip as a show out to a Cardinals game, officially or unofficially. And we just need to get everybody out there to a Cardinals game. It'd be fantastic. And the only way we do that is if T-Bone changes his Twitter profile and his Tinder profile to waxed, vaxxed, and ready to mingle. Hey, join us Wednesday <laughs> afternoon, June 16th for Dunctionary Day. On the Bud Deck at the Budweiser <laughs> Brew House in Ballpark Village. No real easy transition here. Hey, Tanner, it's Ryan Braun. My daughter will date you. <laughs> the Cardinals are hosting the Marlins that day at 1215, and you can join us out there. The Fastlane will be there. We will be there. Tickets include a hot dog, a beer, and a Dunctionary t-shirt. A portion of every ticket purchase is donated to the Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund. Hey, by the way, I did just get a little bit of a word from our boss, Mike Ryder. $6,500 wow. was raised from the Dunctionary t-shirts That's this incredible. year. $6,500. Congratulations. So, huge thanks awesome. to all of you guys that were yeah. able to support that. You can continue to do so. If you didn't get a Dunctionary shirt or if you did and you just want to go out there for Dunctionary Day, make sure to get in on this. You can check out the full details at 101ESPN.com. Huge thanks to all of you guys for supporting this. It's all uh, going towards the Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund. So awesome. huge thanks to everybody for being involved in this. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll cross things over, but Chris Kerber joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I'm just asking here. So... I'm trying to figure out how we're evaluating John Gant this season. We're going to get to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, here in just a moment. Told you we evaluate him as he is incredible. So he walked two guys. Not great. He made a a throw to second base on what should have been a super easy throw for John Gant. Uh, it, it was a it was a comebacker right back to him. He had all the time in the world to set and throw to second base to get the force out. He couldn't do that, so it was an error on him. And you've got the bases loaded. And one out, he's on the mound. He ends up throwing to your mean Mercedes. Mercedes hits a fly out to left field. And Justin Williams has a cannon of an arm and throws the guy out at, at home. So do we give John Gant credit for that because he got out of the jam? Or is this him being lucky? I'm trying to figure out, Alex, how we're doing. John this Gant is like Ann Sullivan. And for those who don't know, Ann Sullivan was the teacher of Helen Keller and helped her speak for the first time so john gant is a miracle worker ladies and gentlemen he is the best cardinals pitcher right now okay yeah. sounds about right all that's right how, let's go we get there let's go out to the brown and group and celebrity line to be joined by the voice of the blues chris kerber curbs how you doing today man brandon doing well how are you guys doing all right so the blues over the last couple of days have had their exit interviews yesterday was the players turn today it was craig baruby and doug armstrong baruby will be on with the fast lane coming up at 2 15 so be sure to listen to that coming up here in just about 45 minutes or so curbs from the conversations that you heard the quotes that you heard coming out of those did anything stand out in particular about uh whether it be looking back on this season or kind of looking forward to the offseason for you i i i think what stood out is just the realization of, of what we already knew injuries 
just became almost too much to overcome for this hockey team. And, and as a result, this team never really developed an identity. I, I thought Craig Ruby used the term identity several times. I thought, you know, Doug Armstrong talked about kind of the all, all around, uh, you know, play of, of the team and talked about how the character of the team is how you're going to have to compete, you know, against teams like Colorado who have had four top, you know, you know, at top five picks in the last 10 years, you know, while the blues have been playing as one of the best regular season teams in that bunch. So, I look at that, and, and I, I think what comes out of this is the, the team is going to be reevaluating, I think, some of the uh, the heart and soul aspect of, of this hockey team, as, as well as you know how do they how do they figure out which player truly has a role moving forward. I think the big part for me, Curbs, that I took away was Doug Armstrong and Craig Bruby both talking about making sure that they were all on the same page going into next season, and I think that goes in terms of the player, the playing style that we saw of them struggling to find a presence in front of the net offensively, but also in the personnel decisions that are going to take place this off season. Well, and, and it's important that the head coach and the general manager are on the same page when it comes to that. And, and especially right now, I think with the situation that the blues are in, because you are, there is a bit of a transformation and, and there is an identity uh, growth to find out with this team. You don't, you're going where now you do for this team to be successful. Some of those other players, and we talked about this at nauseum this year, have got to step up and fill roles. Okay. Well, what is the style of play for Jordan Cairo to be most successful? You know, and, and, and how does that work? Is, is it the complete grind? You heard Craig Berube talk about how they were with top 11, 12 in the league in terms of rush, you know, rush chances. Okay. Rush chances is one thing. Then if that's the type of team you're going to be rush goals becomes a, a real critical number to follow that up with things along those kind of lines. And, and it's important as the coach is planning his camp uh, and, and what it's going to be like in the first part of the season and the early goals for the season, it's important that the, the general manager and the head coach are on the same page with how this team is being designed and set up. So you have the right system of play and every coach and general manager will tell you, they, they don't like comparing teams from one year to the next from one era to the next, because everything is different. Scenarios are different. Well, tweaking your systems and tweaking how you're going to approach it with the players you need to be successful as part of that process. And it's one that, unfortunately, I just, I just don't think you really had a chance to do it because you had guys playing maybe in positions all season long that they really shouldn't have been in because the injury factor was so big. That's an interesting point, Curbs, because now they're going into that evaluation period, right, where you have to, you have to determine, okay, how did the season go? Who are the players that we need to continue to move forward with? Who are the guys that maybe we need to look at different direction? How much was that evaluation thrown into flux this year because of all of those injuries? Because sometimes you've had, you've had guys that are just not even playing the roles they were expected to be in this year. I think it almost depends on the age and experience of the player. But I do believe that in any situation – you can still get a terrific evaluation of what you have. And, and look, Doug Armstrong told us this earlier in the year. It was, it was a fantastic quote. Because of all the injuries, there were some young guys that were getting a chance to fill in. And he goes, you know, the funny thing was, I get these calls from agents, you know, that would sit there and say, my guy needs to play more. My guy needs to play more. He goes, maybe I should be the one calling the agents now saying, well, <laughs> they're, they're playing. And so, look, I, I think from an evaluation standpoint, guys, you look at a couple of things in my book, and, and the first one being, you know, you played against the two teams that are probably going to be the cream of the crop, one of which will be in your division when things go back to normal next year in Vegas and Colorado. 
you got to see each one of those teams eight times plus another four times from Colorado. You know exactly what they have. And you shouldn't, based on their cap situations and contract situations, expect much to change on those parts. You got to see how your younger players reacted against them, how they played against them. That's valuable. I mean, if, if some of them couldn't handle the top, now this is where the age factor comes in, part two. If some of them didn't look as good as they need to, now you have to make the determination, okay, is this because we've got a 21-year-old and just his third year in the league, you know, that, that battled some injuries this year and just never really got on track? Or is this, you know, us dealing with, a, you know, a 26, a 27-year-old that played enough this season and just didn't have what it takes with speed-wise or, or you know, physicality-wise to compete against that? I, I think there's plenty of room for evaluation in there, uh, and, and it just – depends on what other options they give you in this offseason to either either adjust, fix, or turn around and have to hope for more from some of those guys. Curbs, Doug Armstrong said earlier today that he expects a very active offseason, not just for St. Louis, but also for the National Hockey League. How active do you expect it to be for both St. Louis and the NHL? From an NHL standpoint, it's obviously going to be very active because you have an expansion draft. So every single team is going to lose somebody but Las Vegas. They don't have to participate in it. So everybody's going to lose somebody. That's going to create a hole. The flat cap is going to make contracts really, really interesting. We saw last season a guy like Mike Hoffman stay on the market to the very end because of cap situations that teams were in. How is Now that teams know that that cap is going to be flat, how does that adjust them when they've got a little bit of an off season to figure out and do the planning and have had the season to plan accordingly? So, yeah, I do expect some activity there. I also think that because of that, even though they're going to be cap, uh, you know, cap impacted, I do believe that the best way to improve your hockey team might be in the old-fashioned hockey trades where you're giving up something that is decent, but you're getting something to fill a need that you have. From a blue standpoint, guys, my philosophy on this is I think this probably – could be, or if not needs to be, one of the more aggressive off-seasons we've seen from the Blues you know, in, in, a, in a little while here. And the reason is, is if, if you're Doug Armstrong and you believe that your team is in year four of that five-year window or year four of a six-year window to compete, and you've got guys like O'Reilly and Perron and Shen and Falk and these guys and, and Bennington playing in their prime and playing good hockey, uh, you know, to me – I'm not. I'm not so worried about how a guy is going to develop for four or five years down the road. I, I think you got to put yourself in a position to win now. And if that means trading a player that turns out to be a really good player for somebody else, but you know you're getting something that could really help you win and build the team you need now, you take the chance on it. And I, I've used this example many times. Calgary traded away Brett Hull, but they got Rob Ramage and Rick Wamsley, and that helped them win a Stanley Cup. The Dallas Stars traded away Jerome McGinley, a young player, a young future Hall of Famer. But it got him Joe Newendike, and Joe Newendike still had a lot of hockey left in him. And not only helped him win a Stanley Cup, but got him back, you know, to a couple of conference finals even beyond that. So I see the Blues in that type of situation because when you don't have the high draft picks coming, like some of these other teams that have stunk for so bad, that's something people have to remember here. Yeah, you could look at Colorado. Well, you had to put up with a good 10 years of junk. You could look at Edmonton. They still can't figure out how to do it. So they put up with like 13 years. And even though you got Dreisaitl and McDavid going nuts, they still don't have enough to get out of the first round of the playoffs. Like, I, I think, to me, th- this becomes a real interesting offseason from an aggressive level if you're going to stay in that competitive window. 
Man, I agree with all of that, Curbs. And we talked about this a little bit earlier and how how do you go all in, if you will, on this five-year window? They got two years left in that previously stated five years. And it's it's probably going to hurt at the back end of this, Curbs. I mean, you look at some of those contracts that they have, and it goes out into 2026, 2027. You've got guys that are going to be 36, 37 years old at the back end of those deals. That, that very well may hurt. But right now, they've got to do everything they can to capitalize on that. So I, I'm curious, when you look at you know those hockey types of trades that they could potentially make this offseason, who are the types of players that you think they could maybe look at? Is there a position, a style of player? What do you think they could be looking at this offseason? So I, I'll take it from a position and style standpoint, I think, Brandon. Sure. I, I think a glaring hole that the Blues had all season long, and even had they been healthy, I still think that this hole would have been there, is left wing on your top line. You know, that, that, that to me is a glaring hole there. They, they used a whole bunch of different players there. And, and, and on average, about 8 to 12 games for each of them, from Barbashev to, to O'Reilly. To, I'm sorry, from Barbashev to Sanford to Blake, uh, you know, to Schwartz, to Shen a few times. So finding a left wing. So I, I, think, I think a left wing position in the top six is a critical hole for the St. Louis Blues. Based on what we saw this year, I don't see that they have anybody coming up ready to step in and fill that role. At least not to me where you have confidence saying we can count on that. Right? I know Doug Armstrong is really high on Clem Costin, but but to me, he starts in a third or fourth line role and earns his way up there. And if he becomes it, great. But that's a heck of again, too many question marks when you're in that window to win, I, I think is is prohibitive to winning. So that that to me is the first uh, spot that I look at. And then secondly, I, I need some attitude uh, on the team. Uh, I, I, you need, you know, Braden Shen was the guy that I thought I, I kind of played a Brian Sutter style this year when the team needed somebody to, to get in somebody's face and to drop the mitts and do some different things and, and, to, and to lead. Like Braden Shen came out, and yeah, I know the, the, the offense wasn't there in the playoffs, but he came out, hit like a maniac, and just tried to fire his team up. Um, we need a little more fire back in the belly because with, with the losses of Steen and, and, and Maroon signing elsewhere and things along those kind of lines, it changed, I think, the, the character of this team a little bit. And as, as Craig Berube really put it, yeah, we, we've got we've to get some of that back and figure out what the character is going to be. So those are the two things I'm, I'm looking at. I, I think we're good in goal, Brandon. I like our defense when our defense is healthy. I think we're fine. I think you can go out and still add some experience. I think the fact that Doug Armstrong carrying Carl Gunnarsson like he did and Robert Bortuzzo like he did probably means he would like a little more experience out there in a in a seven eight you know six seven eight spot in there you know but to me top six uh left wing is, is just a glaring hole that that needs to be solidified everything you're saying is kind of the the same wavelength that we're on uh so far throughout the show today and we'll be talking about this throughout the offseason curves we always appreciate the time all the best to you and enjoy some much deserved time off after what was a very busy season for you thanks so as always for hopping on with us today yeah, Brandon, thank you. Thanks for your help this year uh, filling in. And uh, we got plenty of stuff as we get into the offseason here. So uh, it, hopefully it'll be a good and entertaining offseason for all of us. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. That's Chris Kerber, Voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie crossing things over with the fast lane. We've got Anthony Stalter in studio. Stalter, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm going to start calling John Gantz David Copperfield. Because that was some David Copperfield-ish on the first inning, eh? Now you see your run opportunities. Now you don't. He's been doing it all see, year. I have a I'm theory. Just load the bases up. No problem. I have a theory I, with this one. Stoltz. So do, does does he? Get, I'm confused at this point. Like, do we give him credit for this? Should he be knocked for this? I legitimately don't. Like, I at the beginning of the scoring. year, I was like, this is unsustainable. There's no way he continues to do it. Right. He just keeps doing it. Here's the thing that I've that I found out. I am interested in your theory on this, Alex. But here's the deal on this. Right. It's okay, Stoltz. Some things are not sustain. Th- most things are not sustainable for years. Amen. But I have come to realize that some statistics are sustainable for at least a season because there's not a long enough sample size you think 162 games oh i'm I'm with you right pk like oh this will this will play itself out he's walked 28 batters in 39 innings that should be a real problem for him what's his dra like like 0.7 2.0 2.0 So here's my theory. That'd be good for a reliever. He's a starter. He came into the season as the guy on the outside trying to get into the rotation. He wants to be in the rotation, right? So John Gant figures, once I get in there, I'm going to show these guys how good I am. I'm going to put runners in scoring position. I'm going to load the bases (laughs) up with one out. I'm going to get the hell out of this inning. Take that, Jack Flaherty. Wouldn't that, though, work the opposite way? Because he gets out of it. He's like, yeah. But you're coming Gant. in. But here's the deal: like, if I'm if I'm Schiltz, I'm, I'm well, all right. Well, you're a great reliever. Then you'll come in. Bases are typically yeah. then you know what I'm going to do to you, guys... Mike Schilt? I'm going to load the bases and give up runs in the bullpen stints. Uh, well, you keep me in the rotation, otherwise you're going to lose ball games. You wind up in Baltimore. Hey, John Mancini? Means. John yes. Means made it look great. I've been trying to get Trey Mancini for months. Love home runs right now, baby. He just hit another one today. Did he? Off Pineda. I've been on the Trey Mancini train with you for like the last three weeks. Come on over to the Mitch Hanniger train. This guy's trying to get Mitch Hanniger over here. He made a hell of a catch last night. He's a good player. So did Justin Williams today. He did. did. Um, Justin Williams is a very nice fourth outfielder. (laughs) Okay, that's Very nice fourth outfielder. Mitch Hanniger this year has an 865 OPS. That's the guy I want starting for me in the outfield. I'm good with that. I'm good or with Trey that. Mancini. No, Trey Mancini would be Trey fine. Mancini no, well, I said I'm good with that, but I, I listen. I I have been president of Team Trey Mancini. I was talking about Trey Mancini in spring training. Jamie and B. Tierra punched me right in the face. Stop with the Trey Mancini stuff. But that's that's disappointing from them. It is. Thank you. you. It's very Alex. disappointing. Yeah. I also We'd... wouldn't really want to get punched in the face by either of those guys. Mm-mm. Don't feel like that would feel that, that probably no. would not end particularly Jamie's, well for me. Jamie's got Mongo hands. It's true. And BT's got blind rage. So he'll just knock himself out and then, you know, start throwing punches. And then you can't. He's just so enraged. You can't. He can't feel anything. Can you do me a favor today, Stoltz? Well, sure. So I was listening to your guys show yesterday. You always do bet the board. You have fantastic analysis in that oh, segment. Man. Yeah, can you give um, Barnes a little bit of crap for me because he, I get all of the crap about BKOing the Cardinals. He said that game was going under. He did, but he also took the under the night before. So he's he's fifty fifty right now. In so this what he's series. saying is Meat actually has good ones every once in a did while. It, did it hit the under actually? No, yeah. no. It did. Last night it did not. But the, it, the, the previous the previous oh, game he called you out. Meat. I am. I'm, I got your back, Meat, because you hit the under. You hit the under on Monday night. Two days ago, yeah, but right. he doubled down on it. <laughs> But I like the thought process. I don't strike out as much as they do. As Wayne Gretzky okay. once said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. He just Homer Simpsoned out of here. I know. He's that, mad that at meme. me. That's all right. 
He's mad, at you, he's mad at you about that? You got to get some right yeah, every once in a while. Uh, What's coming up today on the Fast Lane, man? Craig Berube, 215. That's it. That's it. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 <laughs> to 6. Whole show. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow at 11 on he 101 know ESPN. It, but <laughs> we'll do it anyway. too crazy. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Powered by I Promise.